Hi, everybody. Welcome to Artifice episode 158. At this exact moment in time, I have a sinus infection and I'm so sleepy, but I have to drive to Montana for a wedding. But first, I'm going to record this intro. Um, and don't let my present day sleepy sinus infection body and voice and affect make you think that this episode isn't going to be one of your favorite episodes of really any podcast that you've ever heard. Um, I was re-listening to this episode last week and I, I messaged Ben on Instagram and just was like, I think this is the most yes and interview that like I've ever heard. Um, and I just couldn't have asked for a better uh, partner in this conversation. And um, I really loved chatting with Ben. We had never met before, but I had uh, seen his um, his like first big taping, you know, headlining show a couple weeks previously and was really excited to interview him. And then we just um, talked about so many things that I love, so many of my favorite topics and um yeah, I, I can't wait for you to hear it. Um, gosh, I don't think I have any announcements. If you live in Utah and you want to mark your calendar for um, a big show that I have this fall, I haven't announced it kind of anywhere except for this right now. This will be the first kind of thing. But um, I'm playing The Hallowed Wide, um, which is the album I released last year. It's like a, a sort of a narrative concept album. And when we play it live, there are some like like readings between the songs. It's kind of like a, a mixed media experience. Um, but uh, everyone who played in my release show band last year are all faculty members at UVU. So we get to play in the brand new gorgeous uh, UVU music building, the Norda Center, um, as kind of like part of their series for, um, it's, it's like a faculty recital, but part of the big Norda series. So it'll be me and three of my colleagues um, playing the Hallowed Wide um, in, the, in, the, in the beautiful concert hall. Um, at UVU. So that's Friday, October 27th. Um, yeah, mark your calendar. I would, I would love to see you there, especially if you didn't get to make it to the, to the live performance of this material last year. Um, so it'll, it's about, let's see, it's, it's a year and five days later. Um, cause last year we, uh, released the record on October 22nd. So that's exciting. So I guess I do have an announcement. Um, other than that, that uh, there's nothing. Um, follow along. I've been doing lots of writing, um, as per usual on my website and other social channels. Okay. I'm going to tell you more about Ben now. The Fresh King Benjamin is a Utah-based comic who has headlined such prestigious events as the Sunstone Symposium and Wyoming's Equality's Annual Rendezvous. He grew up on a Mormon polygamist compound in Wyoming before escaping to the vast and wicked metropolis of Salt Lake City at the tender age of 20. Since then, he's been slowly figuring out how to prosper in the heathen lands while being wildly distracted by all of the exposed elbows. Ben is a mildly popular TikToker at The Fresh King Benjamin, where he shares his unique perspective on the modern world. So yeah, Benjamin Brown, such a brilliant and talented man, um, a great thinker and speaker and writer. And I'm so honored that he came to the, uh, to 
do this interview with me and so excited to share this with you. So, um, oh, maybe I'll just say as a like a little note up front, Ben and I do not go easy on Mormonism. So if you feel like you're going to feel sensitive about that, this might not be the episode for you. Um, but we do go we do go pretty hard on creativity and artistry and lots of philosophizing in, in those classic artifice podcast ways that I love so much. So if you're here for that, you're going to love it. And uh, yeah, I think you're going to think you're going to love it. Okay, everybody, that's it. Um, I'll be back next week with more. Um, enjoy. Great art almost feels like magic. It opens our minds to brand new ideas and teaches us to see ourselves and our world more clearly. Of course, behind all great art, there are artists. And I think that's where the real magic happens. As we go beneath the art itself to explore how artists do what they do, we see glimpses of the sorts of creativity and resilience that lead to the art that moves our world. And maybe we can learn to borrow some of that magic for our own thinking. That's the goal here. And now that we're on the same page, let's dive in. I'm Emily Merrill, and this is Artifice. My one friend, Sarah, who's based there, she knows all the musicians. Everywhere we go, there's like these incredible musicians playing. She's like, oh, that's my friend, you know, whoever. We're meeting them after. Like, I don't know. It's just like, I'm Oh my just gosh, like, I love having friends like that. Yeah, yeah. Like the friends who are in the know, and they'll they'll hook you up with the I cool stuff. I want to be a friend like that. Like, that's part of why I, like, I feel like I do this podcast. I'm like, I just want to meet cool people. Yeah. And then I want to be like, you two should know each other, and you two should know each other. Anyway. You're a connector. Yeah. Malcolm Gladwell. Yeah. Connector types. I was just talking about that with my friends this, this past weekend. Anyway, Ben, I'm so excited to talk to you about like your art stuff. I'm excited too. Yeah. Okay. So I came, I came and saw your, your show, um, two weeks ago. So I've got, I've got two weeks ago, two weeks ago. Yeah. Wow. That feels, feels like it was longer. It feels, it feels like, like it was like longer. It was longer ago. Um, anyway, I feel like I have like a little bit of context, but one thing I'm, so I always start this conversation. I like to talk about people's early relationships with creativity. Mm. So I'm curious, like given that your childhood was different than a lot of people's, what, like what, how, when you look back as a creative now and you think about your young self, what were the things that you were doing to be creative? Yeah. So there weren't a lot of opportunities to be creative. Um, We were, we were pretty isolated. We didn't have a lot of resources um, what I did, I think the, the way that I expressed my creativity was through uh, imaginative play. Yeah. A lot of my guests say similar things. And so I would, my favorite thing to do was I would, uh, go outside cause I, we didn't go to school. So I just yeah. got to play outside cool. all the time until I was about eight. And that's yeah. when I started working, wor- working for my yeah. family. But up until eight, it was pretty rad yeah. because that meant that I could go outside. And as long as I could hide from the angry adults, which was pretty easy because they were big and stupid, mm-hmm. it was like I could go and do. And there were a lot of children. And there were a lot of children. It was easy to yeah. probably kind of. Right. It's kind of easy to blend in yeah. and disappear, especially if you can like, like it's, if you can get out of the house without them seeing, then you're, then you're yeah. golden. Yeah. So what did you do? So I would go and I would, uh, I had like a little bag of, I love dinosaurs. So I had like a bunch of little dinosaur toys that I'd Cute. like slowly collected over the years. Yeah. And I would go and I would dig, I would build like these elaborate, um, communities for them. So I'd I build like, it. I'd like go and dig hills, like get, dig caves into the hills. Mm. And I'd build like, like streams and like lakes oh, and all it. sorts sculpture. of things sculpture yeah. yeah yeah and um and that was really fun and then I would play 
uh, I was really into Greek mythology. Yeah. And so. How did you know about Greek mythology? Well, uh, so my family had, my mom had like these, these, these like children's encyclopedias. Okay. I don't even know where she got them or, or even what they were called, but they were, they were these, I remember them. They were like these orange books and there was a set of probably, I don't know, probably 25 of them. Cool, cool. And I was, I was an avid reader. I, I started reading when I was like two. I was say, I know you were reading. Yeah. I, I can, I feel like I can tell by just like the way that you use language and like your songs that you put in your set. Andrew, my husband and I were talking about it last night. Cause I, he was like, what are you doing this week? And I was like, well, I'm interviewing Ben tomorrow. And he, we were talking about how cool your songs were. Oh, shucks. Yeah. And, and we're musicians. Yeah. So, you know, oh, I like something. That. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I mean, I, I, I loved reading. And so in, in, in particular, this set had a whole section, had a whole book really on different, different mythologies. Cool. Yeah. And so I loved Greek mythology and I loved the monsters and the heroes and all of oh, that. Mythology is so, so rich. rich. It's yeah. really, really rich. And so we would, um, with, in collaboration with some of the other kids, we would, we would create these really, we called it the barbarian game. And it was basically a, uh, it was basically like a live action role-playing game. So we were LARPing yeah, yeah. and we were making like, um, swords out of sticks yeah. that, that we would find. And, and really we would construct them, right? We would like, cause there would be these, there were like these fence slats you could get and they, mm. they were like this long. Mm. So about a like yard long, four feet or something. like yeah, four, three, feet four feet and about two inches two inches wide and like yeah. half an inch thick. Yeah. And so they were perfect. You just cut off the ends of them and you could create these really elaborate well, swords. Yeah. And, um, and we had like a whole mythology going. It was ba- it was based around this. I like the, the origin of the story was that we were a, like a peaceful village. And then mm-hmm. these barbarians attacked us mm-hmm. and they like killed the entire village and stole some of our family yeah. and then like took them off into the distance. And then we had to like go save Find them. them. Yeah. And throughout that, we'd like go through all these quests and like fight all yeah. these monsters. Were you kind of like the boss of the story? No, I was, I was a more, at that point I was kind of the, the, like there were some older kids. I was sort of kind of in the middle. So there were okay. some kids that were older than me that kind of started it up. And then I came in and I started see. playing. Um, I love that. It was really fun. Yeah. It was, and it, what, what was interesting too about it. And I think this is kind of this kind of sparked, I have a kind of, a, I've had a lifelong obsession with mythology mm, and mm. the way that we use mythology to, to process what's happening to us as humans. I yeah. think that myth is a really powerful way to understand our world and to understand yeah. our place in it. Amen. And, and so what's interesting to me about that is that we were a bunch of kids who were in a pretty horrific environment. Yeah. Like yeah. we were not, we, we weren't, the, it was physically unsafe. It was emotionally unsafe. It was spiritually unsafe. Yeah. And it was really fascinating to me now as an adult to see the ways that we sort of took the things that were happening and processed it through play and imagination. It's amazing to me. Like, and this is why like these early, these early relationships with creativity, like every once in a while I have, cause I, I interview adult artists of all mediums and every once in a while I have a guest who's like, well, I was drawing. And then I'm like, no, no, no. Tell me about the other stuff. Right. Like, like how, how were you building that like creative resilience? Like that thing that I know all of us that are adult creatives are doing. Right. Like what's the origin of that? Um, and it's, it's remarkable. Like the things that were, I don't know, like children, not all children maybe, but when there are children who are like, I don't know, like, I don't know if like taking the reins is the right thing, but just having that little, like what control you can, right? even in the storytelling, even in the, I mean, there's just something so 
There's something very Amazing human about the way that we create, right? We're storytellers, we're myth makers. Yeah. There's something really powerful about our imagination. Yeah. Like the thing that makes us different than other animals right. is that we can imagine things that aren't true. Right. And then we can make those things true. Right. And and I think that really is the creative process is having this idea of something that could be. Yeah. And then seeing a way that you could make it actually yeah. real. Telling stories like mm-hmm. just like what if what if I thought of my parent this way? And like, could I see, you know, like a paradigm shift, like just those tiny little things like are, are how you, you get out of it, right? you know? Um, so I, maybe we should, do you want to say, do you want to just like give a synopsis for the listener? Cause like I, we, yeah, so the, the, we both know the quick synopsis for me is that I, I grew up uh, on a Mormon polygamous compound in Wyoming. There were about, uh, it was, it was fairly small. There were like it was kind of like my family's ranch. And so my family was actually, my family's been part of the Mormon cult for like 200 years since the inception. My, my ancestor was baptized in 1835 um, and they like came across with the, with the Mormons to Utah. One of those families too. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it's a big, it's kind of a, it's a lot to, yeah. to process through. And most of my family has been kind of LDS Mormon for most of their lives. But then my parents decided like they, they were sort of confronted with some of the inconsistencies in the LDS church because mm-hmm. the current LDS church as it's constituted today doesn't look anything like the that. original, yeah. the original church. Some people find that out and they think, Oh, they just leave. Right. Yeah. yeah. My parents found that out and they were like, well, we, we got to find the original we gotta source. To we got to get back to the, back to the truth. Yeah. And so they joined something called the apostolic United brethren, which is, um, uh, it's like a smaller splinter group of Mormonism. There's about 15,000 members. It's headquartered here in here in Utah. It's actually like um, just down at the point of the mountain. There's like wow. a little building down there. And that's no where idea. that's where they're kind of they're kind of headquartered. Yeah. And um, when there's they, a lot of AUB in Arizona, too, right? A lot of AUB in Arizona and in Montana and in Mexico and in Canada. OK, so it kind of is mm. kind of all spread out there. Yeah. Um, and when they when they did that, they. Uh, they, they went kind of to, to my family's ranch to sort of prepare for the last days because they were pretty confident it was happening like tomorrow. And, and they, they believed that they, like the prophet at the time, uh, for them, his name was Owen Allred and he came up and he told them that they needed to keep that land and like prepare that land for, uh, as a place of refuge for the saints in the latter days. And in order to do that, because the ranch was impoverished, it never made any money, mm. they had to start a bakery okay. to kind of fund it. Okay. And when they did that, they did it, they started it on the ranch and they didn't want to bring people, bring Gentiles yeah, in yeah, to work, yeah. work it because that would, you know, yeah. that would expose us to the wickedness of the world. Right. And so they're obviously. like, well, we've got obviously, right? <laughs> 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 you can't have, you can't pay workers to come in and, and do that because yeah. then they'll expose your children to, mm-hmm. I don't know, fair labor practices. <laughs> oh, God, Yeah. And so they, they were like, well, there are all these kids here. We'll have them work. And so I started working in the bakery when I was eight. Um, I started working pretty full time when I turned about 11. And by the time I was 14 or 15, I was working like 16 hour days Holy pretty shit. regularly. And, um, and then I left that to go to college when I was 17. And I left to go to college because my family wanted a lawyer to kind of protect them from the evil government. Yeah. And um, that's very like mafia it's very mafia yeah 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 Yeah. and and it should have been a red flag like i should have that you don't know you don't know and andrew and i talk about this all the time like we talk about all the times that we should have like 
I grew up in the mainstream church, right? Obviously, but um, yeah, we talk about like all the times that we maybe should have been like, "This is weird," <laughs> yeah, and that we didn't, you right. know, because it's your it's the water that you're swimming in, right? Yeah. So, so I'm being told I was told from a, a very young age, "Hey, don't talk to police officers. Don't talk to like the government is is wants to take you away from us." Yeah. And they, and what the, the message that they told me was they want to take you away from us because we're righteous. Mm -hmm. And really number one, the government hardly ever takes kids away from their parents yeah. in the first place. Yeah. Like number one, that almost never happens. Yeah. And number two, that probably should have happened in my case because, because mm -hmm. we were, they were not, they were not treated, they were not taking care of us well. Yeah. yeah um, yeah. but they looked at me and they were like, Ben reads books. So he's going to be, he's going to go to college. So I went to college and I was at college for a couple of years and decided to join the LDS church because it felt like it felt like a less extreme version. Mm -hmm. Like it, it felt one of the things that, that the AUB still believes in very heavily is uh, the racist doctrines of like Brigham Young and, mm -hmm. and uh, mm -hmm. early church leaders. Mm -hmm. And that always felt really bad to me. I never yeah. liked that. And Isn't so that interesting when you just have that as a little kid. Yeah. And I remember it as a very little kid, like, like just feeling so gross in my body, but then yeah. also feeling like, you know, I was taught that the natural man is an enemy to God. So my body. I've been talking, I've been thinking about this a lot lately. Like I had similar things when I was little of like more, more with like homophobia. Right. Like I had just like things cause I, I, I really like hardly knew any people of color growing up. I'm sure you're, you're right. the and same. You, yeah. I mean, the, I, the first person I met was like, I was in like my twenties. I went to college in Texas. I have a degree in jazz studies. Yeah. So I knew I met black people right. in school and was like, Hmm, this is different. But, uh, but I grew up in Arizona. I'm from Mesa. Um, and, uh, I remember like having these like early, little kid feelings of like this just and it feels like queasy yeah. like a gross feeling of yeah. like i don't know why we're treating people like this and it's something i've been thinking i've been reflecting on lately like my parents um were always like emily you're gonna be the like you're gonna leave like, you're gonna leave the church and i took that so like hard oh interesting. i remember just being like why would you say that to they're me? kind of inoculating you against that yeah, they were mm -hmm. always they were always telling me like you're gonna be like you know so and so in our family like up the family tree who left right and I just was like but I'm but I care about this so much and I'm so invested and I, looking back I think like was that what it was like did they see me having like compassion compassion and know that like yeah. see could they see the writing on the wall from that I don't know it's well, a weird thing to think about though and I I actually think that there are a lot of a lot of Mormons who have a similar journey because I, like I, I, I watched a, a TikTok of a woman who was describing her journey as well. And it reflected mine very similarly, but it was about homophobia rather yeah. than racism. Yeah. And I think that there's something about, there's something about one, just humans. And two, like there's something about the way, like if, if, if we believe in Jesus and Jesus said to love everyone, that's in direct contradiction right. to the way that they treat the way that right. the, the polygamists treat um, people of color, the way right. that the church treats the treats queer people and women and yeah. women and <laughs> yeah. like everyone who's not white and, and everyone, male. Yeah. And wealthy <laughs> and wealthy. Yeah. But, and but I, I think that you, I think that you sort of know that, but what they do is they, they turn your body against you. Yeah. Right. So they tell you the natural feelings, like the feelings of empathy and compassion that you're going to feel 
that is Satan trying yeah. to tempt you. Yes. And don't listen to him. Totally. And so there's this real disconnect that you experience as as that goes. And so when I when I decided that I was going to join the LDS church, it felt like I could sort of jettison some of those move a little fe- closer to move a little that, closer yeah. to what felt good. I hear ya. And um and then I was in the LDS church for for about five years and and I was like, oopsie, it's the same. Right. It was basically the same. And <laughs> what kind of turned me on to that actually was the LDS church, the LDS church's treatment of women. Yeah. Because what I saw was that it, it was exactly the same as the way the polygamists do. Mm-hmm. Like there's, they love to say that they're different, but there's no structural functional difference in how, in, yeah. uh, in a woman in the LDS church versus a woman in right. a polygamist church. Right. She has no power right. in either, in either case. And so. That that was kind of a big deal, and then they they released like the the church essays, kind of justifying all of the things. Is that when you left? Like that's at when that I time? left. So what the the, the thing yeah. that kind of really triggered it for me was the essay on um, plural marriage. Yeah, where they're like it's the line that that did it for me was when they said that Joseph Smith married Helen Mark Kimball several months before her fifteenth right. birthday. Yeah, and I was like, you that that struck me as so. Wildly, well, yeah. wildly irresponsible. Yeah, like right, like yes. like as an organization for an because there's only yeah. one right way to respond to Joseph Smith's pedophilia, right. Right. which is Joseph Smith was a pedophile. That was wrong. I felt we the same way. Utterly disavow that. Yeah, it is not okay. Totally. Like I was I, seriously, I was just talking about this with Andrew last night, but not because I was going to talk to you because I was just with all my friends who d- I'm the only Mormon they know. Yeah. We, we were just, you know, hanging out all weekend and it just like, there's conversations that like, you know, are in my mind from it. And, uh, yeah, I felt the exact same way. It was like, I was in college. I was working on a master's degree. I finished my master's in 2012. I was in Texas. Like, so I was still like really Mormon, but I was I was able to kind of do it in a different way because there weren't that many of right. us out there. Mm-hmm. And I, I, Mitt Romney was running for the presidency against Barack Obama. And I had some friends that had questions for me. And so I learned for the first time that Joseph Smith like was a polygamist right. in 2012. Oh God. And, uh, and told my parents and they were like, that's not really true. And I was like, yes, it is. Yeah. And then the essays came out like later that year. Right. I mean, I mean it, it was, was like, like yeah. it, it was because Mitt Romney was running for president. Yeah. That's like why it happened. And the thing that's wild to me is that, that it's actually a really, and this is what ultimately, because at that point I was fairly nuanced yeah. in, in my belief. I'd yeah. had a couple of experiences where, um, like I, I got really sick and I had a, a bishop and stake president believe that I had a devil in me and they tried to like wow. cast a de- demon out of me. And instead I ended up in the hospital dehydrated. Wow. So I was like, if you have the power of God, mm-hmm. maybe mm-hmm. he would have been like, mm-hmm. Hey, give the, give the boy some water. <laughs> right. Some water. So at that point I was kind of like, uh, I don't really think this is literally true, but maybe it's good. Right. Maybe there's a way sure. that I can kind of like, that's what I was maybe doing it's mythical. There's too. kind of this nuanced way to look yeah. at it. And, and the essays to me just showed me that it's not even good. Yeah. Right. It's not, it's I, actually actively harmful I felt the same because way. it's creating an environment in which predators can still do their work, hide, yeah. hide and, yeah. and even thrive. Yeah. Right. Cause if, if there's a, if there's an essay that a Bishop can point to that just says, Hey, look, yeah. Like it's sometimes, the, sometimes God, t- God tells you to marry teenagers and to hide it from your wife. Right. That's how I felt too. When the essays came out, I was like, okay, not only is this true, but 
the church has taken no responsibility for it. Zero responsibility. And that, like, I just was like, how, like, the fact that the Mormon church wants to blame these things on God instead of blaming them on Joseph Smith, I was just like, right. I can't, I can't do that and anymore. it's actually pretty easy, right? Like, I, part of, part of the reason, like, because there's a, a little bit of an edge to my comedy and, and a mission to it, which is that... I, I think that comedy is a really effective tool mm. against an entrenched power mm-hmm. structure. Yeah. And the nice art, thing about comedy, is, I think yeah. art is right. Yeah. And the nice thing about comedy is that I can say whatever I want. It just has to be funny. Yeah. And so the justification is, is it funny? And if it's funny, I can say it. Right. And part of, but part of what I sort of have, like I've, I've kind of talked about a little bit and it's sort of a joke, but it's, it's also not is that I'll stop being mean to the LDS church if they meet my demands yeah, and my demands are actually pretty simple. It's acknowledge the harm that you've caused. Yeah. Acknowledge it to the people to whom you have caused it. Yeah. Apologize and institute structures that will allow you to continue to exist without causing harm to people. Will never happen. It never will. And that's, what's really tragic (laughs) is that, that, I mean, this is an organization that has, billions of dollars yeah. and it could be an organization that could do a so lot good. of good in the world. It really could. I agree. And it wouldn't actually be that hard be so to easy. come in and say, Hey, you guys, we're sorry. We were racist. <laughs> yeah. We were sexist. We were homophobic. We are so sorry. Yeah. That is not in keeping with the teachings of Jesus Christ. Right. We want to change. Mm-hmm. And here's how we're going to change. Mm-hmm. We are not going to talk about the Book of Mormon anymore. Yeah. The Book of Mormon is a white supremacist document. We're not going to promote that anymore. We disavow all of the prophets. Not just we not just we don't talk about the prophets anymore and you don't listen to old prophets, you listen to new prophets. We disavow them. The whole structure. Joseph Smith, Brigham Young, all the way up to to Spencer Kimball. Yeah. We I mean, disavow these people. I think it's still, and it's even, still an issue. <laughs> even, <Yeah>. even today. <laughs> right. And it's not, it wouldn't be that hard. And we'll keep Hinkley. Yeah. Maybe. We'll keep, I mean, I've heard I've Hinkley heard is pretty nice. I've, I've heard some things. I've heard things. I've heard some things from women. Yeah. Who've met him. Yeah. Well, and, and that's, that's really it. Right. Because part of, part of what I would need to see in order for me to feel like they could still be a, an active good force for good in the, in society is 50% of all leadership positions immediately go to women. Yeah. Right. Like, and, yeah. and again, not that hard, right? right? The women are actually asking for it. Yeah. And so this is like one of the few times when they are actually asking for right. it. Right, right. And so that is not something that they, it, it just, it, 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 it makes me really aware of what their true motives are, mm-hmm. which is power and profit. That's what, yeah. I was just having this conversation with my sister who's still in and I'm, I can't mind my P's and Q's around the girls. Like <laughs> yeah. I, she's 21 and I, I just like, I, after I, every time after I see her, I'm like, Emily, you've got to keep your shit together a little better. Well, I, I, I would <laughs> say maybe not actually, because I think that part of, no, part yeah. of the way that the power system has remained entrenched is that they've, they've structured the narrative yes. to say that talking about these things is mean yes. and disrespectful it's, and it's fucking not. I was listening to Sam Harris recently and I'm not always like super into him, but Andrew likes it. And we were on a road trip together and he was playing something. I was kind of like dozing. So, and he was saying like, you know, people get offended when you're right. 
Yeah. <laughs> like people are offended. Right. People get offended when there's no defense. Right. What we need to do is, is we need to live out loud and publicly. Yeah. Right. We need, because here's the thing. They get to pray at football games. Mm-hmm. If they get to pray at football games, we get to say that Joseph Smith was a pedophile. Yeah. Because he literally was. I mean, I deeply agree. And uh, we're doing it right we're now. We're doing it right <laughs> now. Everyone who's <laughs> yeah. listening, Joseph Smith yeah. was a pedophile. Yeah. And like, uh, just for context, I used to teach at BYU. Like I was faculty at BYU until... 2019. Wow. Um, and now I teach at UVU and I really think about these things. Like I really think about like, you know, what's the right way to like model something healthy for my students. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, while being like, I am their professor, you know, and where I'm part of an institution, but I think about it a lot, you know, and how can I give my students their autonomy and let them believe what they believe, but also like just, not participate, you know, it's not, it's not, I think it's not participating. And then it's also forcing them to bump up against the reality right. of realness. Right. Right. Just like saying out loud, like maybe this is, you know, whatever. Right. Like yeah. you Mormons love to talk about their Mormonness. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Then we get to talk about our ex Mormonness. Right. I totally agree. Totally and we get agree. to do it in, in public it's without being shamed and, and silenced. Owning a narrative, which is the same thing you were saying before, which is why we started talking about this, like telling, uh, telling, using mythology to like right. construct a story about what's going on. Totally. And, and actually one of the things I'm really excited about is that, um, there are so many fantastic ex-Mormon artists, Yes. right? And so I think that there's, I think there's a really cool shift happening, which is going to allow creatives to express their stories mm. in a way that's meaningful. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that what we need is we need people who are creative and good storytellers who are artists, who are songwriters, who are comedians to tell the story of what happened to them in Mormonism. Amen. Because we were, we were all abused. We were traumatized. We were lied to, we were extorted. Yeah. And that's not, those aren't feelings. Those are facts. Right. Right. And we right. get to tell those stories. Right. And sure, maybe some people have had a nice experience with it. They get to tell those stories too, mm-hmm. but they don't get to tell us to be quiet about our experience. Or that our facts aren't facts. Or that our facts aren't facts. Yeah. 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 Uh, amen. So you're a little kid, you're reading. What else are you reading? I'm reading, um, <laughs> I'm reading pretty much anything I can get my hands on. I'm reading yeah. a lot about dinosaurs. Yeah. Um, I'm reading, uh, the Hardy boys. Love uh, the Hardy boys. I love the Hardy boys. Yeah. Um, I'm reading. How old are you? I'm 33. Okay, okay. I'm I'm in my Jesus year. I'm just, I, I always talked about it when I was 33. I'm about to turn 35. I'm turning 35 like next not a week from today. Oh, yeah. wow. Happy birthday. Thanks. It's the birthday week. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I turned 34 in June. Okay. Yeah. So I'm, I'm just about to get crucified. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ah, I'm just like off the book. Like right. I'm not even, it's not even, we're not around. <laughs> <laughs> I loved, um, I loved, uh, literature too. So I read, um, I, I was reading like, uh, classical literature, like war yeah. and peace. I um, love it. Uh, were you, tell me this. Were you, I'm, I was asking about your age cause I'm wondering if we have similar, like if we're in the same universe of a zeitgeist, right. I don't know. I mean, yeah, I don't know. But, uh, were you reading war and peace like way earlier than you should have been reading war and peace? I think I read war and peace when I was like 14 or 15. So yes. Yeah. Where like maybe not even all of the language is quite, it's like you're learning as you go. hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, part of, part of the reason I think that I, I'm where I am today is that I, that 
my love for reading exposed me to a world that was far bigger than my world was. And so there Amen. was no way that my, there was no way that I could stay in that world because yeah. it was so much bigger. And I have yeah. to really credit my mom for that because my dad wanted to control that, right? He wanted, he at one point wanted me to only read books that he approved that he had read. And my mom was like, no, that's impo- like, you don't read anything. So yeah. that then we'll, he'll just never read anything. Wow. Good for your mom. I, I'm really grateful yeah, to her for that. That's awesome. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I just loved, I loved, I loved stories. I loved literature. I loved, um, I loved joke books Cool. and, uh, yeah, just kind of whatever, whatever I could get my hands on anything that was, yeah. that was interesting. Cause life was pretty boring. Yeah. Did you have, were there, were there animals around? Like, did you feel, yeah, I mean, we were on a, we were on a ranch. So we had like, I mean, there were tons of cows and, and horses and stuff. Yeah. Um, and then I had a couple of pets. So I, I'd sort of cycled through, like I had some lambs for a while. I had a couple of dogs. Were um, you, um, were you growing things? Were you involved in growing things? Not, not very often. Okay. So I didn't, I, in fact, I didn't really love, we had, we had gardens and stuff, but I didn't yeah. really love working in them. Sure. Um, sure. but I loved thing. being outside. We had these like really cool, um, like san- huge sandstone boulders that were kind cool. of all over the property and we'd like climb on them and jump on them. Yeah. And like you could jump from one to the other. It was like jumping between roofs and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. it was pretty exciting. That's awesome. I just had like this moment because I, so I've been doing this podcast for like three years now I've interviewed you know, this, this is going to be, this will end up being like something in the 160s or something like that. Of like two hour conversations with artists, which is like, it's becoming like a, it's changing my brain. Yeah. It's really cool. I'm like, I need to like write about it at some point, but, um, but I've had so many people sit here and talk about the outdoors totally, and talk about like their creativity, like in conjunction with the outdoors. And so I've grown to kind of have this awareness that like the outdoors are creative, but it's like, but why? And then I remembered last week I started reading this book called your brain on art that just came out and it's fucking nuts. It's (laughs) crazy. You got to read it. You'll love it. Yeah. Um, it's like neurology of art. Like what is awesome. I already know you would love it. Um, and one of the chapters in the book, I'm like just putting this together, like in this moment, one of the chapters of the book is talking about how like nature does the same thing to our brains that art does. And then it's like, there it is. Yeah. There's the answer. But yeah. So spending time outside, spending time with animals, yeah, spending time on the boulders. Yep. I, and I too, on the, on the nature point too, I think that like, because part of, part of my journey has been sort of a journey out of belief and then back into belief. Amen. And I think a big part of that for me is like belief, belief in God, whatever you want to call that, uh, to me, it just means a belief that you're part of something larger yeah. and all you need to do to recognize that that's true is go out into nature. Yeah. Right. Yeah, like yeah. human, humankind does not exist without all with without Gaia, right. Without yeah, all yeah, of this, yeah. this, this primordial ooze of life that crawls up onto the land and, and creates plants, which creates mm-hmm. soil, which creates more plants, which creates animals, which creates yeah. all the, all of the ecosystems that we need to thrive. Even like the ecosystems that are living on your skin and right. living in your gut. And right. Like, like we yeah. literally come out of the earth yeah, and yeah. then we go back into the earth. Right. And so, uh, nature is the, like Gaia, Gaia is the, the primordial artist. Right. And so we're only kind of doing, and I think that's one of the things that is the most fun about leaving a cult is that mm-hmm. you get to step into who you really are. Yes. 
is. And and you get to kind of express the part of yourself that was you were told to not express, right? You were told, hey, you have to be this clone that looks mm-hmm. exactly like mm-hmm. everyone else and does the exact right and righteous things. Yeah. And when you leave Mormonism, it's funny because Easter was yesterday. And so I was thinking a lot about this because Mm -hmm. in in some ways, I think the Easter myth is a really lovely way to think about how we grow and exit high demand religions as a, as a Mm -hmm. human, Mm -hmm. because there's a death, Mm -hmm. right? There's your Mm -hmm. old identity that dies. You spend time in the underworld kind of grappling with what happened. And then you're kind of resurrected. You're reborn into this new life. And when you pay attention to what called you back to life, it's almost always something creative and generative. It's almost yes. always some part of your soul that wanted to express Ugh. that couldn't. Right. So Ugh. for me, you know, in, in the, in the, they've taken this out as of the most recent temple video, mm. but up until like a year ago, you covenanted in the temple to not engage in loud laughter. Right. Right. Which is so dumb. (laughs) It's such a dumb thing to do. But like that, that was a big part of, I was shamed for that. Right. In, in the, in both the, both polygamy and in the church, I was told like, that is bad to, to be too light-minded, to be too silly, right. To be too humorous is not okay. Yeah. And so that was a part of my soul that didn't have expression in in that, in that worldview that now gets to, and it's particularly fun that it gets to it by making fun of that. Right, right. Oh, I'm so here with you. Like in my own, I, I also feel like my story is like distinctly Mormon in a lot of ways. And also my parents are both narcissists and my mom's dead. I'm not in contact with my dad. It's been like almost exactly three years. I talked to him for the last time on my birthday three years ago. Wow. So we're like, we're coming right up to it. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's just like, I've been thinking about these things so much recently and like, recontextualizing it like you said like coming back to belief I feel like I'm like I feel like I've been doing it for a couple of years and I feel like it's kind of like taking on a new life like right now like in this phase that I'm in and even just a couple of days ago I was thinking about art and you know reintegrating some of that Mormon like some of those things that were like interesting in my childhood you know in my own way but like that I've sort of felt like I have to put that aside for a second. I have to build something new. And I was thinking just a few days ago, I've got like the screenshots in my phone to prove it, but I couldn't sleep. I have a really bad insomnia. And I was thinking about the Mesa Temple Baptistry. I don't know if you've ever been there, but, and they've remodeled it. So who knows what it's like now, but there were murals like green, like bright green Mm. murals on every wall. And the tile was like these beautiful green mosaics. And the, the oxen are made of terracotta and there's this gorgeous woodwork, like like carved flowers that are like kind of stained wood, like stained yellow, stained pink, stained green, stained blue. And I just remember loving being in there. Yeah. And like so much of my relationship with Mormonism was like, I got to go to the baptistry. Like I need to be there. And then I, in retrospect, just going like, it's fucking art. There's it just is. art everywhere. It's art and it's ritual too, right? Like, yeah. like there's like, there's something really cool about baptism as an idea, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. About, mm-hmm. about going under water and then coming out of water. Yeah. Right. And it's for this ancestor. And I remember like thinking really hard about the names and just being like, who are these people? And like, just, I don't know. Like one of the, one of the things that to me was the most disappointing about Mormonism is that it never really lived up to its hype. Oh yeah. Right. 
Like it yeah. was always like, it was always trying to be this level, this magical thing, this magical thing and it never could quite do yeah, that. Yeah, sterile. And it's very sterile, right? It's yeah. very corporate. So it's sterile. very, it's very laboratory. Mm-hmm. And, um, which is what I'm kind of, one of the things I'm kind of grateful about is that, that Rusty decided to move away from Mor- Mormonism as a term because now we get to yeah. take that back. Right. And it's folk magic. It's folk magic, right? <laughs> like it literally is like, more, yeah. like that's. That Joseph Smith, in addition to being a pedophile, was also a witch. Right, right. Like, he had rocks that he looked at a hat I was in. Just telling my my friends in Kansas City, I was like, yeah, I was like, it's witchy. It's super like the, witchy. The, the the tradition, the part of the tradition that is interesting to me is like the folk magic, the DIY like pioneer skills. Yeah, like these like these Mormon women. We're like, I was thinking about my grandmother, like she crocheted like fucking lace, like mm-hmm. she crocheted lace and just thinking like, what is that? Yeah. That's nuts. That's yeah, crazy. I mean, these, these people came to a desert and, right. and built a fucking space castle. It's crazy. They built like, a castle. And it was beautiful. And they were all starving to death while they yeah. did that. Yeah. And so there's two things yeah. about that that I think is, is really true. I think one of those things that's really true is... The Mormon leadership is ex- is exploitative and evil yeah. because they were exploiting and extorting their populace right. to to rack up what's now billions and billions of dollars. Right. Right. So that's true. And and we got to take that down. Yeah. And the the amazing creativity of the people. Yes. Right. The and am- we can own that. Like, I mean, I don't know how you feel, but like, that's something that I'm really working hard to be like. No, I do have a heritage. Yeah. Like, because I felt like kind of disenfranchised as a human for a long time. Like, totally. Where's the art in my family? Like, I there's no artists. There's no women who are like, you know. And then I'm like, no, no, they're there. Yeah. It's just they're sm- ex- it's smushed. They're and- expressing in a, kind of an odd way because yeah. they because they're stuck in this cult. But also recognizing for me something that that really helped is realizing that that belief is far older than Mormonism. Yeah. And it's far older than Christianity. Yeah. And it's far older than monotheism, right? right. Belief is something that humans have been doing for hundreds of thousands of years. Yeah. We have been waking up. We have been in, we have been praying to the sun. We have been praying to the moon. We have been steeped in magic and myth and folklore and that that is not something that, and that some organizations have come along and they've tried to take that and use it to control people. Yeah. And that's not, fuck that's that. not, fuck yeah. that. That is not true <laughs> yeah. belief, right? The belief is something that it's you actually wild. feel. It's wild. It's yeah, magic. It's, so it's wild. primal. It's yeah. dirty. It's, it's all of, it's very, very, mm-hmm. very human. Mm. Um, I love it. For me, that was like, so I, when I went to Burning Man, I went to Burning Man in J- J- July, August of last year. Okay. And and it felt like it, it felt like Burning Man was the the kind of worship that I'd always wanted in the LDS church. Yeah. Where yeah. it was like art and creativity yeah. and human and just this this radical expression of humanity. Yeah. And everything was okay. I felt that way about jazz. Like yeah. I, I studied jazz and I heard it for the first time when I was like 16, 17, and I just was like Mm, there's something like yeah. I struggled. I struggle to put it into words even now, but I think it's that it's like that wild, like yeah. it's that wild expression, improvisational, like this, like it, there's just something unfettered about it. Uh, mm-hmm. That's just like, 
I just felt it as a teenager and just felt like I got to get that. Yeah. I don't know what it is. I don't know how to talk about it, but like, I've got to get that. Yeah. And there are, there's actually a lot of that in Mormonism. Yeah. And in our heritage. It's weird. Yeah. I've been thinking about it a lot lately and just thinking about the ways that it's the folk magic and the, and the ritual and in, in it's been bastardized. Right. But this, like, there is something there that is so that I've like, I've got to get back to it. Yeah. I gotta find it again. And one of the things that I think is even even fun to think about sometimes is that, you know, as as Mormons who leave and sort of ha- reclaim their their soul and their expression and their their identity, yeah. in in some ways we become the people that we were told that we were already. I know. Which is I that know. we were told, right, we're the most we're the chosen people and we're here to save the world, right? <laughs> yeah. That's not true. Right, right, right. And it kind of is true. Because Mormons who reclaim their identity and then are radically self-expressive mm-hmm. become the kinds of people that we do need that in this the world, needle. right? Yeah. That step out into the world and say, actually, I'm going to be here and I'm going to be here powerfully and magically. Yeah. And I'm going to allow other people to do that too. Yeah. Yeah. Ben, are you always this confident about it? A hundred percent all the time. Cool. I love it. <laughs> oh, wait, are I, you really? I, yeah. I think I really am. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I, I tell people that I'm a prophet. And that's sort of a joke, but it's also kind of not. No, no, I know exactly what you mean. Like this, I just put out an album in October and you know what? I make concept records and they're like, they're, they're mythology. They're mm-hmm. like, they have morals, yeah. you know? And I'm like, this is a manifesto. Yeah. And like, this is a philosophy and it's more than a manifesto. It's like, I'm suggesting that there are principles here that like one could apply to their life and cool things will happen. Yeah. And I'm, I, I, fully stand by it stand by as that. like as kind of lofty and maybe like frivolous as it might sound to some people. I'm like, well, you're not the person I'm talking to. Right. <laughs> like, right. Yeah. I believe, I believe a hundred percent in life and in the power of life to move mm. through mm. humans in yeah. a way that's magical and beautiful. Amen. And, and like that doesn't mean, and, and, and the full expression of life. So that means sometimes you're down, sometimes you're sad, sometimes you're all of the things, yeah. but I, like I really believe that that there is that there's something moving through us, yeah, and yeah. that we we can align ourselves with that and and be who we really are, and that there's something that wants us to be here, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. if you think about it, just just scientifically, the absurdity and the improbability that you and I exist, yeah, is staggering. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. obviously, the universe wants us to be here. Yeah. It made us. Yeah. Or like just it's magical that we are here and so what about it? Right. So what? (laughs) So what are you doing? Right. So what are you doing? What is it? I love Mary Oliver. She's this just phenomenal nature. Wild geese. Wild geese. Right. What, what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? Yeah. And, and you've got that, right. You have that right here and it's not something that you have to wait for. You don't have to wait to the, to your, another life to live it and restrict yourself now. Suffering. No, express yourself now. Yeah. yeah, yeah. What is it about? What is it in your soul? that wants to come out and express. How did you learn to be confident about that? Like what, like with, I mean, we know like kind of the context of your story, but like how did that become something that you felt empowered about? I think, I think just a long, like 10 years. Well, so, so 20 years in, in the cult and then 10 years kind of uh, processing and healing from that where I didn't do it. And yeah, feeling what that life felt like. Yeah. Yeah. And that life didn't feel good. Mm. And, 
And then just recognizing that like after, after I'd done my work and kind of sorted through my shit, recognizing that, that there was something in me that wanted to come out. Oh yeah. I mean, it feels clear to me, like whatever that thing is that like, I would say like, this is the kind of person who's an artist. And I kind of think everyone gets to be an artist if they want to, but there are some of us that just have a thing that is undeniable. Mm -hmm. And like, I mean, you can't deny it to yourself Yeah, and it seems like you had that. I feel like I kind of tapped into that. And, and I also just, you know, part of it was just giving myself permission to, to express all of the things that I wanted to express. Permission is one of my favorite topics. Like over these years, like I talk about permission all the time and it's fascinating to me. I mean, I teach art in a university, like I teach music majors and there are people who are music majors who don't give themselves permission. And it makes me think a lot about like, how did we, how did you figure it out? Right. How did I figure it out? My family was really abusive. I was like the scapegoat person in the family. Mm. There's creativity was very like, I was just made fun of for being like the type of child that wanted to read, you know, whatever. But like, I just couldn't ignore it. Right. I couldn't not do that. Yeah. It was like so a part of me that I like, you know, this permission thing was like, it wasn't a question. I didn't have to learn to give myself permission. I just like, I mean, maybe for some things, I mean, for leaving the church, maybe for being an independent woman. I think, I think for me, part of it was giving myself permission to do, to do all of the wicked things that I was told not to do. Mm -hmm. And, and that, that there actually isn't, there actually isn't anything that my soul wants that is not, that there's no bad experience, right? That experience is all good. And that what you do is you try things and, and see how it feels. And if you like how it feels, you do more of that thing. And if you don't like how it feels, you do less of that thing. But that experience isn't something to be vilified or judged on that. There's not, there's not some God or angel following me around writing down everything that I do. And I'm going to be held accountable for that at the, at the judgment bar of God. Right. No, (laughs) that's not true. But what I get to do is I get to live my life and I get to try things and I get to try alcohol and I get to try sex and I get to try all of these wicked things that I was told not to do. And then I get to reflect on those experiences and ask myself, do I like how those things make me feel? And some of those things make me feel good. And some of those things make me feel bad. And so I don't do the things that make me feel bad. And I do do the things that make me feel good. Yeah. And radical, radical, right? (laughs) Like it's actually not that hard. (laughs) It's actually not that hard because, and I think a big part of it was, was sort of coming back into my body. And a a big part of the trauma work that I did was, was psychosomatic and, and really based in feeling my body again. Right. And so when I was talking about this too, it's pretty magical. Right. And I, I think a lot of people, I think especially in Mormonism, I think we are we are hijacked from our bodies. Yes. We are chronically dissociated. I've been talking about how my New Year's resolution for this year is to like be more sensual. Mm-hmm. Like just think more about like what does this body need? Right. Like and just to like give it experiences. Yeah. Like even just like, you know, like I put like this furry yeah, pillow I love this, like, here. Little, this little blanket yeah, that I've got. Yeah, it gives me like texture. Like just little things like that. Just, I don't know. Like, yeah. Like if I'm putting on blush, like feel it, like really feeling the brush, you right. know, like just whatever little things trying, I've been making sourdough bread and like really like getting the dough on my hands, yeah, you know, that. like just, I don't know. I've been thinking about that and, and it really is like, I'm like, I was not taught this. You're not. In fact, you're, what you're taught is, what you're taught is bodies are bad. Yeah. 
bodies are bad. Ignore everything. Ignore it tells every you. part of your body, especially your your private parts. Sure. And yeah. never, never, never feel anything unless yeah. it's the spirit of God. Right. And so doing or shame or shame. Shame is you're great. allowed to feel shame. Feel as much shame as you yeah. possibly can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I so so for me, I think that like perfectionism. I think that every, I think all humans, but I think especially Mormons need to they need to go to therapy, right? They need to, they need, and they need a very specific kind of therapy, mm. which is they need therapy that will bring them back into their bodies, allow them to feel all the things that they didn't feel, which yeah. is scary, right? Yeah. So for, for about two years while I was going through this, I would, I would lay, I wouldn't do it in bed cause my, my ex wouldn't be able to sleep. So I would go and like, I'd lay down in my closet and I would just shake uncontrollably for hours every night. Cause I was processing all of this repressed trauma that I'd stored in my mm-hmm. body. Mm-hmm. So you got to go through and you got to feel all of that, which sucks. But then on the other end of that, what you get to do is you get to then have access to this marvelous organism that you have yeah. that will always tell you yeah. exactly what's going on. Right. Right. If you listen to your, your body knows everything. And if you'll listen to it, it will tell you what it likes and what it doesn't like. And if you give it what it likes, it'll take care of you. Yes. And it's, it's really not that hard. It's, are you hungry? Eat. Yeah. Do you need some love? Go get some love. Do you need something soft to put on your face? Put something soft on your face. Do you need a nice warm bath? Go give yourself a nice warm bath. Like it's really, really easy to take care of. Put some eucalyptus in front of your nose. Right. Do Do that. that. Right. Like what is it? What is it that your body wants? And then you're in a space where you, where your, your next action is going to be great. Right. Cause you can just follow your instincts. Does that feel creative to you? Totally. It I feels super creative to me. It feels really creative to me. And I, I think part of it, um, like, cause it's, it's about exploring and discovering what my body likes mm. and, and finding ways of getting creative with that. Yeah. So, yeah. well, does my body like this? What, yeah. what about this smell? What about this texture? Right. Does my body like, does my body like, um, leather? Does my body like metal? Linen. Does my body yeah. like linen? Yeah. Right. Like what are these different options? Yeah. And and part of it for me too um, is like, and I'm still sort of on this kick where I, I just give myself a lot of experiences yeah. so that I just know, yeah. do I like this or do I not? Yeah or nay. Which column is it in? Is it jury still out? Right. Yeah. And and really just saying yes to like, like I had a friend who took me to a rave the other night Yeah. and it was like <laughs> the kind of music that I'd never listened to before. Yeah. But I was like, sure. Yeah. I'll go. So I'll say yes yeah. to that. What does this feel like? Yeah. Oh, I get why people do this. Yeah. I understand Everybody, what this is your about. Your heartbeat gets like linked up with right. everyone it's in the room. It's this really cool yeah. experience. And I would have never, when you're in a, when you're in a place where experience is bad and you have to watch yourself and say no to the wicked yeah. experiences, mm-hmm. you don't ever open yourself up to what humans are doing. Yes. And being open, I think is one of the most important parts of being creative. Oh, and it's like what you were saying before, which was also making me think when you had these gut instincts about racism as a Mm -hmm. child, teaching your body to feel through that, like teaching your body to be like, or, or if you have a gut instinct that something's bad, you get that like danger warning to be curious about that and be like, is this organic or is this learned? Right. Like, is this danger warning? Like I got to know, like I have, I need to know. Yeah. Is that, is that fear that I feel like? do I trust that or was that hijacked? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Being really, I mean, these are all parts of creativity, right? Noticing, being curious, taking, asking questions, challenging yourself. That's all part of what we do when we 
tune into our body. And that's all part of what we do when we're creative is we're, we're asking questions, we're exploring, we're, we're feeling into it. Does this feel good? Does this feel good? Right. What does this feel like? Yeah. Why is this, why is war and peace challenging me? Right. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Totally. Um, was the bakery ever artistic for you? (laughs) That's an interesting question. Um, certainly it's an, it's an art form for a lot of people. You know, I don't, I don't think that, I don't think the bakery was ever, there wasn't a lot of opportunity to be creative there. Mm -hmm. What it was though, is it, it did sort of challenge me intellectually to become, uh, business to become business minded. Yeah. That's my next question. Think through like, and even like, I would maybe even say, like not, not like a creative, like I never, I never like held up a loaf of bread and was like, look at this artistic creation that I made. But it did kind of teach me about, there were opportunities to like keep, keep my workspace clean. Right. To kind of keep my. Developing a system. Developing that can be systems. Creative. Right. So, yeah. so in some ways I think, yeah, um, I don't, one of the things that's been kind of fun recently is I've started getting into cooking again yeah. and that has started to become really creative for me. I love it. Um, where, and, and very spontaneous where I'll just like have, uh, I'll just have some vegetables and some spices and I'll just kind of like smell play. and just kind of play <gasps> with I ask, what I'm doing. I say this to Andrew too. He'll, he'll call me sometimes cause I like to cook and he doesn't really, and he'll call me and be like, what should I put on potatoes? Like what spices mm-hmm. should I put on these potatoes? I'm going to put on the oven. And I'm like, Andrew, open the spice drawer, smell the spice while you're smelling the potato and ask yeah. your, ask your nose like yes or no. Right. Do I want to put a little cinnamon on there? Mm-hmm. Mm, maybe I do. Yeah. You know? Do I want to maybe put some cinnamon with some marjoram? Right. Yeah. Could that be an interesting That's what combination? I'm yeah. Right. And and again, <laughs> going into the space of there's nothing wrong. There, there's no wrong answer. There's yeah. just interesting answers. Right. 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 Yes. I'm so with you. And I, I also agree that there's like maybe something with like the baking or something like that. That's like, it's maybe not art, but it's creative. Like Mm -hmm. it's, I don't know, but I'm increasingly, I feel like I just want everything to feel like art to me. Totally. Like I want every single thing that I do to feel like art and the create and the creativity is like, how do I do that? Right. Like how do I I make that. that true? Well, and that's such a fun that's such a fun question even to, to think about, right? Because like, I think the most artistic thing that we're ever going to create is our life yeah. and the story that we tell about our life. Amen. And so even just you asking me the question, like, was the bakery artistic? I don't think I've ever asked myself that question. Mm. And now I'm thinking, now I'm thinking about it and I'm like, there's probably a way for me to rewrite that story in my mind that ties a through line through of of creativity and artistic expression that could be really powerful. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, I I really love that question. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, it's, it's cause I'm, this is how I'm thinking about my life. Like how can I, I've been, I, I write. So one of the like art practices that I do is like, I do this podcast and then I release the episodes like six months later. So I, I get this experience where like I'll re-listen to this conversation with you in like six months Oh, fun! and I'll take notes on it. Like as I'm editing, I'll take notes. And then as I release the episodes each month, I, I look back at my notes on like the, the artist who I interviewed in last month. And then I write an essay on some topic that, Oh, that's fun. It's really fun. Yeah. yeah it's like, it's a home, it's homework that I give myself, but, um, I'll, I'll be like, okay, well, you know, so I've interviewed like, like who, who else is going to be on this essay with you? It'll be like you and it'll be, um, Ooh, 
the last person I interviewed was a Russian. She lives in Moscow. She makes art with mold. She makes oh art out of mold. Oh my God. So it's gonna, I'm going to be like writing an essay that's like this conversation I'm having with Ben. And I'm interviewing like a, a photographer pole dancer in like four days. So it's going to be like the Moscow mold artist, Benjamin Brown. And I mean, unless something happens and the interview gets canceled, it's going to be. And then I'll... I'll look for like things that the three of you like have in common. Oh, what a fun, creative exercise. It is so fun. But um, anyway, so I write, I write these essays and uh, it's just like a thing. It's just another thing that I try to do to like mm -hmm. synthesize, you know, whatever it's useful for me. And uh, I was just writing about this idea of like creating different through lines and like, what if we make the through line that kind of goes like over here? It's easy to look, I think, and tell me if you agree, but I think it's easy to like draw the through line through the trauma. Oh, 100%. And be like, this is my story. But I, I like the idea of like maybe trying to draw a through line that's an art through line. Yeah. And then trying to draw like a folk magic through line. I love that. And, and honestly, I think that's a big part of the work that I've done in therapy has been sort of finding the ways that who I am now actually does connect to who I was then. Right. Right. right? That That's I was creative too. That I was always a creative person, right? That I was always funny. I was always a comedian. Yeah. It wasn't something that I did. Right. It was always in your reaction identity. to it was always yeah. my identity and finding those, those ways that it does that is, is profoundly healing because it yes. allows you to kind of reestablish your identity. Yeah. It's like integration. Totally. It's very Buddhist. Very Buddhist. Um, I'm really into that as well. And also trying to kind of like level it up. Like what, where have I not explored? Like mm -hmm. which parts of that have I not, I don't know, like what other stories could I be telling about this? Yeah. Like what other ways could I be feeling? And I'm really into the idea lately of like reclaiming that folk magic heritage. Oh, totally. Like it feels pretty powerful. It feels pretty powerful. And it also feels very urgent on a societal level yeah. because I think that we we went a little too hard on and I, I like I want to be careful about saying this because I actually love science and I think that yeah. science is like super important yeah. and I think we went a little too hard on what can we do mm. without asking what should we do sure and, and I think there's something really powerful about magic and folk magic, especially because it, it really gets at the essence of who humans are yeah. and what we should be doing. Well, we forget that we're like primates, right? It's something I think about so much. And I've been reading a bunch of books on like evolutionary biology lately. Cause I, and this, your brain on our book is like, it's in there of like, your brain is evolved. Oh gosh, your I'm brain is just, this book. you really will. It's like, Oh, well this is what happens in the corpus callosum when like this happens. And it's like, we have to make art. Yeah. You know, like you need it for your brain. But I think like it's it's not the science's fault. It's like it's not the fault of the science because science is also wild and magical. It's super wild and magical. That's why I wanted to yeah. interview that mold lady. Yeah. Because she's making art out of mold. I love that so much. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's like I think that I think that we for we forgot how to be human. Yeah. And that, that humans are act, like, I love that we're like the word primates, yeah. right? That we actually, that we have to live in the seasons, right? There's something about paganism, about magic that sort of says, be who you are, yeah. right? Recognize that we are, that we're not separate from this natural world. We're right. actually a part of it right. and we need to breathe in the same way that it does. And, and that I think would, 
Like there's, there's this line of thinking that says that humans have dominion over the world and need to exploit it. And there's this line that says we're part of the natural world and we're a part of it. And we, and we leave our, we leave the natural world to our detriment. And if you look at what, what humans have done in the 20th century to the planet and ultimately really to ourselves, it's because we forgot that we were part of it. Yeah. We forgot we're animals. Yeah. 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 Even just like you, the, the ways that we live, right? We're all, we're all in a zoo, like modern, modern suburban life is a zoo. We're all in cages and we're isolated alone and we have like little food pellets to come in I know. and that's uh, not how we're supposed no. to be. I interviewed an architect years ago. I've got to get another architect on the podcast. And he said really similar things of like, it's not right how we live. It's not <laughs> like it's messed up. And I think he was, I think he's still Mormon, you know, but even he knew that, you yeah. know, it's like, Ooh, yeah. Okay. Tell me about music. Like, okay. So, yeah. so music is kind of a, is, is a sort of a recent discovery. I, I do remember when I was very young, my dad had, had a guitar yeah, and he never, I never saw him play it. Um, it was sort of like I found it one day in, in like the closet in our yeah. trailer and yeah. I was fascinated by it, but I had no, like I tried to kind of play what I had no context of wow. how to make it work or how to make yeah. it do what it, what it wanted to do. Um, but I really liked poetry. And so I wrote a lot of like kind of silly poems when I was poems. a kid. Yeah. <gasps> and, um, and then when I, when I started doing therapy, uh, I started to become more creative, right? Yeah. Part of what, what started to fall out was, was some creativity. And so I, I, I bought myself a guitar and I started trying to teach myself. So I'd get on YouTube and I like teach myself. And then I kind of like make up little songs and stuff. And, um, one thing I did remember when I was a kid is I, I wanted to learn how to play the guitar. Mm-hmm. And so I'd ask my parents, Hey, I want to learn how to play the guitar. And they were like, well, you have to learn how to play the piano first. Because yeah, we well, have to play hymns. Right. <laughs> I mean, okay, the, the guests of my pod, like not the guests, the audience of this podcast, whether or not they've ever been Mormon, I've had enough formerly LDS people on here for everybody to know they play the piano. They, we love the playing the, play pia- the piano. Mormons play the piano. Yeah. And, and I don't know. I don't know. Everyone. It's like it's Mormons play the piano. And there's in my family, at least there was like this hyper emphasis on you've got to learn that. And what my what my parents told me was like. Hey, you got to learn the piano because if you learn the piano, then everything else will be easier. Mm. And I was Mm. like, I was like, but I don't want to play the piano. Yeah, I want to play the guitar. Yeah. And, and so I did, I, I took piano lessons from my grandma for a while, but it was boring. Yeah. Like we were playing like, like hot cross cross buns, like all of these, like just, and I just didn't like, it didn't, it wasn't fun. There was something about the guitar to me that felt very troubadour that felt very like nomad. Like you can't pick up a piano and go places. You can pick up a guitar and and take it anywhere. And so it's, it's like this very portable way of, of being musical. And, and so I kind of forgot about that for a while. And then when I, when I started doing trauma, I was like, it kind of just sort of fell out of me. So mm-hmm. I started kind of, I started writing. I, I just get on YouTube and, um, I wrote a couple of songs. Like I wrote the two that I, that I, uh, played yeah. at my show. And, um, and then I went on a backpacking trip and I took my guitar on my backpack. Where trip. were you? I was in, uh, Yosemite. Okay. Which is, oh, no, no, no. At this point, this was at the wind rivers okay. uh, in Wyoming. I've been there. I mean, in the wedding band, I play in Wyoming. Oh yeah. And I drive, all over there a lot. Like I was in Wyoming like 15 weekends. Oh wow. In 
2022. I imagine that the places like that people driving get through Wind River, except oh, that sometimes it's there's spooky vibes. In there. there, there are some spooky vibes yeah. in Wind River. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. But it's also beautiful. It's gorgeous and magical and weird. Yeah, yeah. Cre- there's like a lot of weird cool. kind yeah. of magic stuff happening there. Yeah. Um. So I was in the Wind Rivers, and I I was um, I had a couple of really cool experiences there where I would I would sort of play this. I was like out in nature. I was playing these songs. And at that point I felt I was feeling really, I was feeling really angry and sad about what had happened to me. Mm-hmm. And I remember sort of playing the the first song that just, that's kind of sad. That's sort of about, um, how I felt as a nine year old kid mm. being exploited. Yeah. And I, I sort of sung that to the mountain and I was like, and I, there was like this energy that I was, when I was doing it and I was like, I was like, look at what you did to me. Yeah. Why did you do that? Yeah. Like nature, God, whatever you are, like, why did you do that to me? Yeah. And like, how could you? Yeah. And I sort of heard the mountain kind of talk back to me and it said, of course I did. And it sort of like looked at me in my totality mm-hmm. and it said, this is what I wanted. Wow. And I was like, and I kind of like laughed a little bit and I was like, okay, well, this is what you got. Yeah. <laughs> but there was, a, it was this moment of sort of realizing that that everything that had happened had created me. And if the universe wanted a me, there was no other way to get it. And, and so that sort of felt okay. And then Mm. that's when I started writing the second song, which is more, which is more funny, kind of clever. It's got like some fun world world play in it. It sure does. And, um, and then the other kind of interesting thing that happened on that backpacking trip is that I, so I had my, my guitar and there was, we were, it was like a group of like 10 people. And one of the ladies who was there, at one point she started playing something by the Beatles and I loved it. And so I was like kind of watching her play it. And then I asked her, I was like, I asked to have the guitar back so I could try it myself after watching her. And she came around and she kind of put her arms around me and sort of showed me how to do it. Yeah. And that was the first time that I, that I remembered someone teaching me something. Wow. Right. And I was like, Oh, this is way better. And so immediately it feels good. good. It's actually, it's really like, I don't have to learn this by myself. And so I went home and I immediately hired myself a guitar guitar teacher. And he was this really lovely man. His name was, uh, his name was Thomas. And he was, uh, he's kind of, he was, he was this really interesting character because he was, he was Mormon. He was very active, very believing, but he was also very cool. Like he'd been an, he'd been an artist for a while. He'd kind of lived in his, been homeless and lived in his car for a while. Mm. And, and he'd like just decided that guitar was his thing mm. and he was going to do that. Yeah. And so he'd found a way to kind of be a, a teacher. And Isn't that was it amazing how it still happens. It still happens. <laughs> it's right. Crazy to me. And he had like this cool, he was like in his fifties, but he was, he was cool. He looked good. He had like, had like his hair slicked back. And I remember he came over to my house and I, I, um, I was, I was just really excited to to have him there and I was paying him for like 45 minutes and, um, and he, he would, he would like the first time he stayed like an hour and a half. And then like every time after that, he just stayed for sometimes hours Wow! and it was just because he enjoyed, he enjoyed me. Like he enjoyed teaching me, enjoyed hanging out. And after a couple of, uh, after a couple of, um, sessions with him, I, I sort of like brought out, I was like, I'm also writing songs and here's what I'm doing. And he, he was just so lovely in his response where he, he, he like honored the whole thing. He He didn't make it about him. He didn't make it about him. He honored everything that I'd done. 
And then he helped me make it better. That's a great teacher. And I love that. And it was really, it was really, really magical. And so I, I taught, I studied with him for like a year and a half up until I moved up because we, this was when I was in St. George up until I moved up okay. here. And, um, yeah, so I, I wrote, I actually wrote a whole bunch of songs and they were all kind of like, kind of, some of them are mythic, some of them are funny, some of them are sad. And there's, they're just sort of a way, they're a way to kind of express who I am mm. that, that doesn't matter. Like it doesn't have to be good. Yeah, yeah. That's not right. what it's about. Well, that's what, that's one of the things Andrew and I were talking about last night of, with you of just like, you even said like, I'm not doing this because I'm good at it, but it's just important. Right. And there's something about that. That's just so radical. Yeah. That's like, and that's a, that's a lesson too. I think, I think in some ways the professionalization of music has robbed us of the power of music. I mean, obviously I, I think that, I think you know? that there's, yeah, I think that there's, there's something like we're all not going to be Beyonce. Yeah. But Beyonce no, doesn't, we're not. but Beyonce doesn't own singing. Right. Right. And there's something like I tell people I, when I, when I sing, sometimes I'll tell people, I'll say, Hey guys, just so you know, like what I lack in technical skill, I make up for with enthusiasm. Yeah. Well, and I mean, as a person who teaches singing for a living, like I'm, I make money singing Beyonce songs in weddings and teaching singing like that's how I earn an income and I deeply believe that like everyone has the right to sing everyone has like, the right to sing like having those vibrations in your body changes your brain chemistry it really does it changes your body like it, it is it is primordial and it is like you own it like, you, you deserve everyone it. deserves to sing yeah and to and to sing loudly yes right to sing with your whole I body love it. Yeah. And, and so it doesn't matter if you're good. Yeah. And, and the thing that's kind of interesting is if you'll give yourself to it entirely, you become good. That's what I tell my students all the time. I tell my students all the time, we could try to like backdoor this or you can just feel it and you're going to get better faster. Right. And we can take all that feeling and then we can like, okay, well, you know, if you get a little bit better control of this muscle, like this will happen and we can, you know, but if you try to go like, if you try to do that first, it's going to take you. 30 years and then you mil you might still not sound you might still not I tell my students like my goal as your teacher is to help bridge the gap between the sounds you're making and the sounds you want to be making mm, yeah which is like you know I want you to be able to tell the story how you want to tell it and if you're missing that facility then you're going to be limited in that way yeah but like you still have to just want to tell the story you have to want to tell the story and <laughs> yeah. you have to you have to you have to really throw yourself into the experience. And I think that's what, that's what changes you as, yeah. as a singer is if you can just, if you can throw away all of your fear and just, and just as loud as you can, yeah, yeah, just yeah. sing the thing that's inside of you. It doesn't fucking matter. It doesn't matter. Nothing else matters mm -hmm. because once you do that, that's what it's singing is really about. Amen. It's about yeah. you, you just putting it out there and then as if you'll, if you, and if you do that a whole bunch of times, eventually you'll get good. Yeah. Your neuro, your neural pathways, like, you know, they get a little smoother. It gets yeah. a little easier. Like it's yeah. like walking, right? Like nobody, yeah. nobody becomes a good walker because they're timid. Right. 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 right? And also nobody's like bad at walking. Not it's like people will be like, oh, I'm just not a good singer. And I'm like, you don't get to say you're not good at something that you've never tried. Right. Like, fuck right. you. You're new like, at no, singing. you're new at singing. Yes. Like, yeah, you like, how dare you? Like I, when my students say things like that, I sometimes I'm kind of joking, but I'm really serious. I'll be like, you've never tried this. How dare you think 
you're going to be good at it. Right. Duh. Your first time. <laughs> yeah. Are you like, kidding me? Yeah and, yeah. and that's why, that's why like, I mean, and I, like, I love professional singers. I love the the work that they do and how they do it. And, and that we get to, that we get to have Beyonce. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. And if you're measuring yourself, like Beyonce isn't even Beyonce. No, I know. Yeah. Beyonce is a carefully crafted product right. that is, that has dozens, if not hundreds of people going into making that Beyonce is a brand. Beyonce is a brand. And a business. And a business. Yeah. And so, of course, you're not going to sound like that. Yeah, yeah. That's not the point. And it's studio magic. And it's studio magic. And we don't need a bunch of Beyonce's. Right, right, what we right. need is a bunch of humans yeah. who are confident in their voice. Because right. if you can sing, you can speak. And mm-hmm. we need people to have voices that they're confident in, that they feel like they can use. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Like, and when I, I, you know, a lot of voice teachers don't like teaching beginners and I love teaching beginners. I love teaching amateurs. I love teaching people who don't want to be singers because those people have a a voice. Like Mm -hmm. the, the idea that you have a, a, a literal voice and a figurative voice bullshit. You have a voice, right? (laughs) Like, and some people communicate their figurative voice through their literal voice in a different way than some people are writers and they don't need to, they don't need to vocalize in the same way. But the idea that you have, the idea that they're separate is wrong. Like you have a, you have a brain and a body that are the same. Your brain's your body, you know, right. You get what I'm saying. It's the same thing. And like the medium, the medium that you choose to love and the medium you want to be in, like that doesn't need to be singing for everyone. But if you, if someone has a, something about singing they're interested in, the idea that that is not going to change their figurative voice or it's not going to empower their figurative voice, ridiculous. Yeah. Of course it will. Of course it will. Yeah. It's funny too, like bringing it back to Mormonism and the, the heritage of Mormonism. I think that, um, I think that music and singing is actually one of the real gifts yeah. of, of a Mormon singing loudly is singing loudly. Yeah. And that right? there's no professional musicians. And there's no professional yeah. musicians. I thought about that and too. that, that we're all going to be part of this choir, right? Mm-hmm. That is, you know, um, that's pretty cool that, yeah. that we do that. And I think that, you know, when I talk to people who've left Mormonism, one of the things that I, I hear that they miss the most is the singing, singing group, singing, and singing together. together. Yeah. 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 It's powerful. It's pretty powerful stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay, talk to me about like becoming a comedian more like publicly, like how, or even just like how did you kind of think? How did you think like, okay, this is the thing I want to try. I want to try writing things. Like, tell me about that journey. Yeah, so i I've always I've always really enjoyed making people laugh. Yeah, right. So I'm always in conversation about that. Like, why? What's magical about that? Uh, what's magical is that there's. I think the thing that's magical about it is that that humor is humor is a way to sort of transcend the moment. Right? Mm-hmm. Humor is a way to kind of get outside of what's happening. Mm-hmm. Humor is a way to sort of point out the great cosmic joke that we're all in. Mm-hmm. Right? Because life is t- to me life is fundamentally a hilarious joke. Yeah. Because we take this thing so seriously. Yeah. And it's not that serious. Yeah. 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 And and a joke. So if, if we're in conversation, we're talking about something mm. and then I can kind of say, and then there's a tweak right. and then, and then we're laughing. Yeah. Suddenly it's not about this thing anymore. Right. It's about this present experience right. that we're having, which is yeah. a, a laugh. Right? right. And you can mm. never, one of the things I love about laughter is that you can never be in the past or the future. 
when yeah. you're laughing, yeah. right? Laughter is a is an entirely present experience. Mm, it's beautiful. It, it's involuntary. It is overpowering. Um, it it takes it takes you away from worrying about what's happened or worrying yeah. about what might happen. And and one of the things that's cool about laughter is you can actually make fun of worrying about what's going to happen and worrying about yeah. what's going to happen yeah. because those things are funny too, right? The, the idea that we spend so much of our lives, not where we are, but in the future or in yeah. the past is hilarious. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah, that's a, yeah. that's a funny thing that we do. Yeah. And, and so I've always really been oriented that way. Wow. And like I said, growing up there, there wasn't a lot of space for that. So my yeah. dad, my dad really didn't get my sense of humor. Um, and m I think most members of my family really didn't. And, and so there wasn't, a, there wasn't a lot of space for it. So I would, I would try to kind of be funny, but I would get, I got labeled like annoying or I'd be told you talk too much, like all of these different really negative you things. You talk so I, too much. That's, I know that one. Right. <laughs> I yeah. know that one. <laughs> I mean, as a woman in Mormonism, yeah, you do. <laughs> I'm, I'm fucking chatty You too, get told so, that all yeah. the time. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and so I, I kind of, I kind of, uh, stopped, right. I kind of like turned that off for a while and then as I was leaving, as I was leaving Mormonism, I, part of what I had to grapple with is that I, I looked around at my life and I, I recognized that I was not living the life that I wanted to live. Right. Yeah. I was in a job that I didn't love. I was in a marriage that I didn't love. Mm -hmm. I'd done, and that I'd done all of these things, not because I wanted to, but because I had to do them because they were the right thing You're to speaking do. Speaking my language. Right. How old were you? Um, I was, uh, like 25 or 26. Yeah. That's like when I left too. Yeah. Weird. Yeah. I mean, I, I think there's, I think there's something probably neurochemical about that because yeah. your brain is done developing. This <laughs> is part of why I like to talk about a human development, like start with a childhood. And then usually I spend a little while talking to people about like what happened to your creativity in your teens. Cause yeah, again, the idea that it's like separate Right. nuts. Like, of course it's not. It's part of, it's part yeah. of who we are, right? It's part yeah. of the, this natural development. Right. So I remember this moment, um, in, uh, you know, it, it was, it was as I was kind of grappling with, do, do I leave the church? Do I not leave the church? Do I leave this do marriage? Leave do, marriage? Do I not yeah. leave this marriage? Do I leave this job? Do I not leave this job? And, and there was just this question of, well, what, what would I do? What would I want to do? Mm. And I remember the first time that I, cause, cause there wasn't like, we weren't, watching stand-up comedy right. on the compound, right? right there wasn't right. A, the, so I remember the first time this is when I went, went to college before I'd left the sect, the A, the AUB sect. So I was still very much in that. I hadn't joined the LDS church yet, but I got invo invited over to a friend's house. Um, and we were going to watch, uh, they were going to watch uh, a comedian, Brian Regan. Yeah. Yeah. And I clean, so clean, so clean, yeah. <laughs> right? so clean and, and good. <laughs> yeah. And I'd never, I'd never seen, you didn't even know the modality. I didn't it even wasn't know, even in your I, head. I didn't even know that that was an option. Yeah, right. So yeah. I'm probably at this point, I'm probably 18 or 19. And that's the first time that I've ever encountered stand up comedy. Wow. And I was, I was enamored. I was, it's I was like when I heard jazz thrilled, like I was like, I was like, Oh my God, <laughs> like this guy is funny. And he's, this is his job. He gets to do this. Yeah. Um, and that was kind of my first encounter. And then I, then I let, I became LDS. I got, I got married like a good Mormon. We got pregnant right away. And so I got a job. And so yeah. like that kind of just, that's where my life went. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I was, I was still very curious about this. So I started watching a bunch of comedians. I, I started following, you know, I just would pick people up and I'd, I'd see them and I'd be like, I love 
there was just something about comedy to me spoke to two parts of my soul that are, are really important, which is humor and truth. Mm. So the ability to, to be funny and to make people laugh as a gift and also the ability to do that by saying things that are, that are like profoundly true. Yeah. Right. One of my, can't argue with it. Cause it's just like true. Cause it's just so obvious. One of my yeah. very favorite, like one of my favorite things that I've ever seen in, in the comedy world comes from Louis CK. And I'm, I'm bummed because later on he ends up getting into some trouble because he's, he's a gross guy. I know about it. And also like, I, he just put up a new special on his, like I'm on his mailing list. I'm going to go um, watch that. Yeah. I haven't <laughs> seen it yet. Cause I just, I got it like right before I went out of town. But um, Andrew and I also are always talking about how Louis C.K. is like, he's really good at the thing. He's really, <laughs> he's really good, good at the, at the thing. thing. And, <laughs> and I, you know, in, in terms of, th- it's like, th- th- that's, th- that's an interesting conversation too, of separating the artist from the art. Yeah. And, and I, I do think that, I do think that there's, there's, I think that we can cancel people a little too quickly yeah. and that, that there's usually nothing that people can't come back from. I right? think that's true. Like, I believe that if you, if you like, my hope would be that Louie would learn yeah. from what he did and would not ever do anything like right. that again. Pete, do you like Pete Holmes? I love Pete, Pete Holmes. Pete Holmes talks about this kind of thing specifically like canceling and like, let's just give it a minute. Right. Like let this person, th- you've done something wrong. You've done something that hurt people. Right. Like take a beat, recover. And then like, you know, we'll, we, you're in timeout. Right. You know? You're in timeout <laughs> yeah. and we can, we can yeah. let people out of timeout. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, maybe depending on what they did, you know, right. Like Bill Cosby probably should be in timeout for the rest of Michael his life. Michael Jackson timeout. Michael I mean, Jackson timeout gone, but, for a while. Yeah. Louis CK. I think we can let him out of timeout in a little bit. I, yeah, and, I think so too. And so I'm totally going to go watch that thing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, me too. What's the thing you were so going to say that, though? The thing that I saw, it was just this interview that he did. Um, I think it was on Conan. But he, he, the, the title of the clip is everything's amazing and nobody's happy. Mm. And he just talks about how he's like, we live in the most amazing time that is wasted on the just most do nothing, boring, complaining generation ever where it's like, he's like, he's like, people will get out their phones and they'll be like, it's not going. It's not. And he's like, give it a second. Yeah. It's going to space. (laughs) Can you give it a second to yeah. get back from space? Right. And oh, that, that so bit, funny. he has this bit, he, he continues and he talks about like, he talks about how people complain about going on airplanes mm. and I didn't, I didn't go on an airplane until I was like 18. Yeah. And I, to this day, flying is one of my favorite things. Mm. Even those shitty parts that people love to, con- mm. I love everything about mm. flying. Mm. Cool. And part of that is, is because of this, this clip. Cause he says like, people love to complain about flights. And he's like, he's like, you're sitting in a chair in the sky. Yeah. And yeah, you're like, but yeah. the seat doesn't go back a lot. Yeah. Right. People like to talk about delays but then it's on like, look at the mountains below you. Look at where you are. You yeah. are a Greek God. Yeah. I went over the Rocky mountains yesterday and had a window seat and was looking at like the, the valleys in the mountains that are just full of snow like yeah. to the brim. Like, I mean, Maybe my perspective was just like wrong, but there were a couple of spots where I was like, I think that snow is like a hundred feet deep. Probably. Yeah. That's, right. That's, that's probably really true. Deep. And, and like a hundred years ago, you could not have done that. Never could have seen it. You never, not only could you not have seen that going to the place where you went would have taken like a lifetime, a lifetime. Yeah. And he says that Dynamite. too. He's like, he's like, people like to talk about delays on flights. He's like New York to five hours and 
New York to LA in five hours. Yes. That used to take seven years. Yeah. And like half of you would die on the way. Right. 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 So, so that clip, that, that kind of showed me the, the potential and the possibility of, of comedy yeah. to do to cool. one, to be hilarious and entertaining. Yeah. And then another, for another thing to, to really say something very true, yeah, yeah. which is we are profoundly unappreciative mm -hmm. of how awesome our lives are. It's something it's, it's funny that you bring this up and I know this isn't exactly what you're saying, but lately, like in the last maybe six months, I've been thinking a lot about like, like I, I, I get insecure about things. I don't, I mean, it seems kind of like you don't, I was going to ask no, you. No, I a hundred percent do. Okay. Yeah. Maybe we'll talk about that in a second, but I, I get feeling like, uh, I get feeling shy and I get feeling like am I weird and I get feeling <laughs> like I get feeling like I'm a complete weirdo. Um, but then I just have been thinking recently about how boring people are and like remembering that like, I mean, I don't think people are boring. I think people are deeply interesting, Right. but how like how boring people's choices are sometimes. Yeah. And when I get that thing where I feel weird, like kind of remembering like, that person who is acting like I'm weird is being so being fucking so boring, boring right oh, I now. I love that. Yeah. It's like something that I've been using as like an antidote. Yeah. I'm just like, you are boring. Like if you don't get that this is like, I know, okay, maybe I'm talking too much. Maybe I'm like a little loud. Like I'm a singer and I can be a little loud. You know, if like you're being so, you're being boring, so boring right now. Yeah. 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 There's, there's, we are, I'm bored of you. We are living so far below our potential Yeah, and yeah. what we could be doing. Right. Andrew's going to love hearing that. Cause I'm, I say, do you know that like Mormon parable, the one about the cruises? Have you heard that one? <laughs> no, <laughs> I love this pen. I think about it so much, but there's this story. I think it's a Hinkley story. Maybe I don't know. I can look it up, but I think it's a, it's a story of like, it was in a conference talk and it was like, um, this man goes on a cruise and, and, and he saved up, he saved up his whole life for this cruise. He's been saving, saving, saving. That's a very Mormon thing to do. I know. To save up your whole life for a cruise. I know. I know. <laughs> I know. And he goes on this cruise and he's like, he's brought his like sandwiches and he's like, and then at the very end of the cruise, he realizes it's like all expenses paid and he could have been eating everything. And like <laughs> the idea, and it's like, you're living beneath your privilege. Oh my God. And the, I've always been confused about this. Like I remember hearing it when I was like in high school in, you know, in real time and being like, I don't get this story because like we're doing that. Wait, yes. <laughs> I, yes. And I feel like I'm telling Andrew, I'm talking about it with Andrew all the time. Like living beneath your privilege is like not doing mushrooms, right? You know, or like whatever, right. Like, and whatever you were so, saying, there's the so plane, many like, ways that we can, we can experience life Yes, that we're not. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and there are so many things that we could be feeling profound gratitude for. Yeah. Yeah. that we don't yeah. right? like my, my favorite thing to, to, to illustrate this is, so I have, I have a, I have a tower cause I'm King Benjamin, right. which is really just a four story town. Benjamin is my favorite character in the book of Mormon. I, the only good one. Maybe he's one of the only good ones. Pretty great. Um, yeah. and he, he's also, it's also hilarious to me because I was sort of raised, right. That I was going to go out and preach the gospel, yeah. which I, I'm not doing. <laughs> 
you kind of but are. But I kind of am. You super are. So I'm doing the same thing. Yeah. I'm like, you think I'm not, you think I'm not a missionary? Right. Check it out. Yeah. I actually am. <laughs> um, you, I mean, you can take the Mormon out of the, you can take the Mormon out of the church, but you can't take the church out of the Mormon, right? Like we are always going to be, yes. mission- that's why, that's why when, when, when active Mormons are like, why can't you leave the church alone? I'm it's like, this like, is what you, you told me. You made me a missionary. Yes. You told me that I had to tell everyone about what was true. So now I'm going to tell them the truth about you. Amen. So Amen. Uh, anyway, uh, on this, uh, in the, the third floor of, of this townhome is um, uh, like a, there's like a long hallway and some bedrooms. And because I'm a dad, I spend a lot of time turning off lights. Yeah, right. And so <laughs> I, um, I was leaving my, I was like putting my daughter to bed and I was leaving. There's like a, there's like on the one end of the hallway is her bedroom. And then there's a light switch and I was walking away and I, I realized the light was on. And then I was like, you know, when you, we, I don't know if you do this, but sometimes like, cause I want to be efficient. Yeah. Sometimes if I have to go back and do something, I'm like, Oh, why did I, oh, I should have just done it there. We're the same in this. Right. Way. And so I yeah. was like, Oh, the lights on, I'm going to have to walk three steps backwards and turn off this light. Yeah. And then I pause and I realize that there's actually a light switch right there. Yeah. And then I look just up the hall by my bedroom door, which is like three feet in the other direction. There's another light switch. Yeah. And then I think about how I have electric light. Right. And I'm like, not only do I have an electric light bulb, which is magic. Yeah. 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 Literally. But I don't, I have three different options. (laughs) For turning off or on this electric, it's not like even just having that, even having an electric light that you had to climb a ladder to, right. to push a button right. would be magic, right. right? would be incredible. Right. And I don't have, I just have to push a little button and yeah. I don't even have to walk to do it. I can just do it right where I am. Yeah. And that's what I mean when I say that like we are, we don't realize how convenient and comfortable and yeah. awesome our lives and thrilling. are and thrilling yeah. and magic, right? Like yeah. we are literally like you read about the Greek gods in mythology. We are those people. Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. We move, we, ha- we fly across the sky. We can have any information. We, we can want. have any information we want. We can turn on lights. We can have fire at our fingertips, yeah. Yeah. right? We are literally the gods of previous ages, yeah. but we're like, but I feel sad. Yeah. Like sometimes I get depressed. This is my insecurity, right? Yeah. Sometimes I get depressed and then I th- look at where I am and I'm like, I'm sitting on my very comfortable couch wrapped up in a very nice blanket watching Netflix with temperature control, the temperature controlled by a button and I feel sad yeah. <laughs> about my life. <laughs> on the other hand though, you need nature. Right. You know? On the other hand, you yeah. need nature to get out of that. Yeah. So kind of circling back to, um, to comedy, right? So, so what was it that sort of drove? So, so I watched that bit by Louis CK and I remember I was like sitting in, I was, I was sitting in the closet of my, I spent a lot of time in the closet. Um, and I was, I was kind of sitting there and just thinking about like, what, what could I do if I could do anything? And I was like, I would make people laugh. Like I would, Mm -hmm. I would be a comedian Mm -hmm. and I was in, I was living in St. George at the time and I, and I was and I was just thinking about my life and I was like, there's no way that I could do that here because yeah. there's no comedy scene, right? right? There's no opportunity to like, I would have to practice. I would have to get out and actually try it. Yeah. And so I, I was like, okay, I'm going to move to Salt Lake. I'm going to move to Salt Lake because I know there's a comedy scene there and I can, I can at least practice try. it. And so a couple of years later, we were able to move up to Salt Lake. We got a really great, we, I bought my tower. turns out my tower is right next to the, um, the train. 
that goes directly to the to the comedy club where the yeah. open mics are. Wow. So I went and I did my first open mic. Um, and I also kind of had this this sense because I, I would tell people about my background. I'd tell people how I grew up and um, and they would be fascinated by it. Yeah. And so I was sort of. And I was also kind of aware that there was this fascination with Mormonism in the broader culture, right? The yeah. Book of Mormon musical was coming out. Yeah. People were starting, like, it, be, it was kind of becoming a big deal. Yeah. And I have the luxury of being kind of one of the more extreme Mormons. So, mm -hmm. so that kind wow. of immediately, what a sentence. right? <laughs> it actually works well in comedy because um, what, it, what it does is it gives me, it doesn't make me funny, but it makes me instantly memorable and interesting. Mm -hmm. So I can get up on stage and I can say, Hi, I'm Ben Brown, and I grew up on a Mormon polygamous compound, and I've got everyone's yeah, attention. Yeah, right. That snap sounded really cool in the headphones. Sweet, that's <laughs> going to be a nice, nice little bonus. Yeah. And and so I I decided I was like I'm just going to go do it. And so I went and I did an open mic in May of 2021. Wow. And I had, um, I practiced it. I had like a bunch of three by five cards. I had all these jokes that I'd had prepared, and I went up and I I did it, and I got. And it was great. I was funny. Yeah. Um, I was getting laughs that I didn't anticipate getting. Yeah. And um, and I I got off the stage and I was like, I'm gonna do this. Yeah. Like I'm gonna I'm gonna actually give this a try. Yeah. And I a couple months went by and I met uh I'm through a kind of through two mutual friends. So it's like one one friend introduced me to another friend who introduced me to Mark. Okay. And uh, I started working with Mark. And as soon as I went to meet Mark, he was like we talked for like five minutes and he was like, Oh my God, you have a gold mine. And I was like, thank you. Yeah. 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 And, um, so he came over and he came over to my house and he helped me write kind of my first, my first set it was like three minutes wow. and I started doing, that's lovely. He helped you write. Yeah. Did, was it, was it like, was it what you thought it would be like writing a set? Um, it was actually a lot easier. It was, it, what, what it was is just like, he just started, um, it was a lot less complicated than I thought. Mm. So he just, we just went over, we sat up on my, on my balcony. We were just kind of chilling and he just asked me on my tower yeah. and he's like, he just said, okay, so imagine like if you were there, what would you talk about? And so I just started talking and he'd kind of listen. And then every once in a while I'd say something, he'd be like, that's funny. And then he'd write that down. Wow. And then we just kind of, so we talked and then we got kind of this structure and then we just kind of played with it. And then I went and I opened for him in, um, cool. the, the first time I opened for him was in, uh, West Jordan, the, the place yeah. where I headlined yeah. and it was great. And so yeah. I just started opening for him and then doing open mics wow. and just kind of writing material and, and kind of expanding it out. So it, the three minutes became five minutes, the five yeah. minutes became 15, got your type five. I got my type five. And, um, and, and then I also at the time, you know, as that was going, I was also learning that. Even though content is really important in comedy, it's it's not that's not the most important, mm. right? The most important thing in comedy is a connection with your audience mm. and actually mm -hmm. being present Presence. and aware. We're just talking about that and like being being in the moment with them yeah. and listening to them, right? right? So comedy is a conversation. It's really not about it's not a lecture, right? Yeah. I'm not getting up there and delivering. It's jazz. It's jazz. I told right? that to Marcus too, and he wasn't feeling it, but like. Yeah. I was like, you just don't know enough. About I, jazz. I, I, I feel that right. <laughs> yeah. Because it's improv. It's, it's, it's improv in a it's room. Spontaneity. Yeah. And, and one of the things that's kind of interesting about, about comedy, uh, especially standup comedy as an art form is that it is, it is the, one of the only art forms where you practice in public. 
So it's almost impossible to practice comedy without an audience. Yeah, yeah. So I can do it in front of the mirror. I can do it with friends or whatever. And, and that's part of the process that I'll use, but I never know if what I think is funny is funny until I get up in front of an audience. And so it's kind of cool. It's very, it's very vulnerable, right? It's very scary. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. But, um, yeah, so I, I just, I, I, I committed at that point. I was like, I'm going to do, uh, I'm going to go like, I will accept whatever stage I'm offered. I will, any stage time I get, I'll do it. And so I did every open mic that I could. Um, I went up and I did, I did 45 minutes at a, at a gay camp out in, uh, Wyoming. I got invited up to do that. And, and it was like, so I drove for like eight hours and, and went to Laramie mm-hmm. and went up into the mountains and did a, did a, a set for like 150 people at a, at a, at a rendezvous. It was pretty hilarious. And, um, I did, I did 30 minutes at Sunstone last year yeah. and, wow. uh, kind of the most crazy stage that I got was right after I left, uh, Burning Man last year, I, I'm driving back from Burning Man. I'm filthy. I'm just covered in, in playa dirt. And I got a call from Mark and he's like, Hey, I, I have someone who reached out. They're looking for a comedian to come do a birthday party. Um, it's tonight. Oh my gosh. They're pay, they'll pay you $250. Wow. And I was like, for yes. how long do they want? I was like, they want 15 minutes. I was like, yeah, I'll do it. Yeah. And wow. so I drove back. I literally drove. I didn't even go home. I drove straight to their house. And, um, when I got there, I, uh, I realized that I like, I knock on the door and the, the dad of the birthday girl answers. And he's like, he's like, hi, how's it going? And I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm Ben. I'm, I'm the comedian. I'm here for the the party. And he's like, what are you talking about? And I was like, I'm here to see Chris. I need to talk to Chris. Chris talked to me and he's like, Oh, and he brings me in and I, and Chris comes up and Chris is like, Hey man, I'm so stoked you're here. Um, we're not in charge of this party. No, we haven't told anyone you're coming yet. (gasps) So I got invited to do stand up at a birthday party by people who were not in charge of the party. Whoops. (laughs) How did it go? Um, It actually went great. So they, they introduced me. Uh, The birthday girl thought I was a stripper, which gave me an idea for, I could be a a comedian slash stripper. That could be actually a service that I offer. Yeah. I'll go and I'll tell some jokes. And then at the end I'll go fusion. I love it. Just a nice media, a nice mixed media fusion thing. Um, but it went really, really well. Uh, the, everyone kind of, everyone liked it. The birthday girl loved it. And we actually became friends. And uh, that is Becca, the the girl who oh, opened for me. That's how I met yeah. Becca. Wow. So, so we started talking afterwards <sighs> and the world is she was funny. And yeah. I was like, you should come do an open mic with me. Like, yeah. cause she was, she'd just recently been injured yeah. and she was oh kind of God. needing something to yeah. do yeah. with. And, and she was like, she was, what she said was that she wanted to do something that made her feel scared again. And I was like, we should come to an open mic because it's scary as fuck. Yeah. And she did. And she crushed. That's brave. That's really cool. That's awesome. That's so cool. I love it. I love that story. Um, I wanted to ask before, I just like to be able to see the waveform. I just want to make sure it's working. Make sure that we're we're recording. (laughs) I just, I have to be able to see it. Um, do most people learn to write like that? Like by being with someone who's done it and then like, just, is that, I have, I have no idea. Wow. That's really interesting to me. That was a really helpful process. And so, so when Becca went to do her, her show, uh, or which when she do went to do her, her open mic, I came over and helped her write too. I love it. And really all that it was, all the, all I was doing and all Mark really did for me is, is be a, be an audience of one. 
right? So imagine, just like do it. Just say what you think you're yeah. going to say because everyone thinks that they could do a comedy, sure. right? Everyone, everyone kind of has that that bug in them, yeah. and so. But when you actually say, okay, what would you say? Start saying it, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Then you just have mm-hmm. to kind of get used to it. And what what I find in my process is that there's there I'll have an idea of something that's funny, and usually there's a nugget of funny in there. So. For me, it's about finding the the thing that's actually funny in it and then trimming away all of the stuff around it yeah. so that I can get to that as quickly as I can. Right, right, right. Because mm. we think that we need, we think that jokes need a lot a of buildup yeah. and they uh, they usually don't. Wow, that's cool. Um, do you ever feel like impostery because of how you grew up? Like, do you ever feel like I can't like be edgy and funny to like, this audience that doesn't have this, like, do you ever get anything like that? I sometimes find, so I, I, I've, I've definitely felt, um, imposter syndrome. Yeah. Um, and usually, usually that's around feeling like, um, feeling like I don't know what's going on. Like feeling like everyone else has a playbook that I don't have. Um, I get that. What I've realized as I've talked about that is that, Everyone feels oh, that way. Interesting. Yeah, interesting. <laughs> and which is uh, part of the joke. Yeah. And um, part of part of what is tricky sometimes um, with with comedy is that comedy relies a lot on referring to other things. And I just don't have a lot You're of that. Missing a lot of so I'm context. missing a lot of context. So yeah. there are like, have you ever seen Marcus's com- musical yeah. show? Mm-hmm. So um, I that, mean, I saw it a few years ago. I don't, it's probably changed that that yeah. that. That show is, he has tons of pop culture references in there and I don't know any of them. So, so I end up Googling a lot and like a lot of the songs that he plays, I know just from his, his, his show, not from, from somewhere else. And so sometimes I do feel a little bit, that was one of the things that was really fun about, um, the show that I did a couple of weeks ago is that you got your audience. I got my audience. Yeah. Right. And so when it's, when I'm talking to my audience, I know that I'm funny. Yeah. Yeah. I, what I'm trying to find is the balance of, you know, as, as someone who knows a lot about Mormonism and, and with a, with a broader audience that's not Mormon, but that is interested about Mormonism, the thing that I want to kind of explore is how can I make learning about Mormonism entertaining and funny. Yeah. 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 Right. It seems like it shouldn't be that hard, which I think, yeah, I yeah. don't think it's actually going to be that I, but hard. I don't know. Never tried it. <laughs> yeah. What I've, what I've found is that it, it's a little bit different of, uh, it, it's, I'm not, it's not as snappy. It's a little more, um, you have to, you have to, it, it's sort of a, a weave of storytelling and then surprising people with comedy in it. Yeah. So, um, one of the things I'm actually really kind of that, that, that excites me about what comedy is doing as an industry right now is it does seem to be moving into longer form, yeah. uh, more like that. It's okay to get serious. It's I okay it. to have yeah. longer breaks where there's not laughs. Yeah. It used to be that like you had to keep, like everyone has to laugh Thanks all the Hannah time. Thanks Gadsby for that. Right. A hundred percent. Like yeah. she, she really kind of, uh, she actually, her, her Nanette, um, it sort of showed, oh, there's actually a space for this, right? And, yeah. and it's been surprising to see how many comedians have followed her. Like Neil Brennan yeah, does this yeah. really great thing it's called Three more- Mics, mm-hmm. where he talks, where he does like he does like jokes, and then he does storytelling, and then he does like just things inside his head, and it cycles through funny mm-hmm. and also not funny. It's almost more like a like a one person show. It's a little more one person yeah. show. Yeah. And so I think that I have kind of this idea for 
for um, Utah, where I want to, um, as I'm as I'm building out my my time and building out my reputation, I want to I want to start something that I want to call uh, Mormon Comedy Church, mm. which I want to do in Park City. Mm. Which what I want it to be is just come learn about Mormonism from comedians and artists, yeah. so that we can actually kind of tell the story about what Mormonism really is yeah. to people who are interested about it, yeah. who don't have a lot of context for it, yeah. and they can learn about what's really going on yeah. away from, because so far we've only allowed, like we've, we've sort of surrendered the storytelling in Mormonism to the LDS church right. and they don't have a monopoly on Mormonism. Right. In fact, they're not right. even Mormon anymore. That's one thing that I love about Lindsay Hanson Park, which like I heard about you because yeah. she posted about you. And as an artist, like I had her on the podcast as an artist, which was really cool. And I'm, I'm glad like, I, I don't always feel like people are talking to Lindsay like she's an artist, but yeah. like, she's a fucking artist. She's so great. And, uh, I, I love the way that she talks about, like, we all own it. Right. <laughs> like, you don't get to own it. Right. More than Nobody me. gets to own th just because they have billions of dollars doesn't. In fact, one of the things I'm really excited about is that they they bailed on Mormon. Yeah. So they built a right. million dollar brand and now they're not using it anymore, which means right. that we get to. Right. Amen. Um, That sounds like something that could tour, too. Like the, the church. And what yeah. is couture? No, that sounds like something that could tour. Oh, could tour. Sorry, yeah, yeah. I'm glad you I asked. think so. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. I mean, I mean, like the what what my ultimate vision with with this right is that I I want to I want to there Mormonism is fascinating to people. Yeah, and there are literally hundreds of millions of dollars being made in entertainment on yeah. Mormonism. Just think of the last year, right? Yeah, yeah. documentaries, yeah. TV uh -huh. shows, under the banner of heaven, under the banner of heaven. Yeah. Um, Murder Among Mormons, right. like all of these different, all of these different that shows. That Mark are, Hoffman thing, that wasn't that long ago. Oh, wait, is that Murder Among Mormons? That's Murder Among Mormons, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, the Book of Mormon musical made $500 million. Yeah. Well, it's fascinating. It's fascinating, right? It's fascinating. And so. And a lot of the stuff that's the most fascinating, no one's even really talked about yet. Nobody's even talking about yeah. it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, like. Like the just, magic stuff. Like the magic stuff, like seer stones and all of that fun yeah. stuff. So yeah. um, my ultimate vision is, is that, that because there's also a lot of trauma in our community. Yeah. I liked right? that you said that in your set of like, don't get it twisted. Like this is trauma. This is traumatic. Right. Yeah. And so what I, what I would love to do is to, is to marry those things. Yeah. Right. To be able, because all of this hundreds of millions of dollars is being made on the backs of Mormon storytelling. Mm. And none of that is going to victims. Yeah. And so my ultimate mm. vision is an organization that, that, does that, that tells the stories that yeah. does it in a fun and entertaining and hilarious way. Yeah. And then partners with organizations that are, that are helping victims. Are you thinking as an artist about other media? Like, are you thinking about writing for TV or are you thinking about writing books? Yeah. So I'm, I've, I've, I've been working on a memoir off and on for several years. Amazing. Um, and right now, I mean, I've got like an outline and a couple of chapters so if you know anyone who, uh, I know, I know a lot of writers who can connect me to, uh, an agent, that's what I need right now. Um, well there is like the Utah writers. I can't remember the name of it, but I know the president of it. I've interviewed him. Oh I my could gosh. connect you with I him. I would love that. Yeah. I would love that introduction. Yeah. I actually have a, I would love to do, I want to do a, a TV show. Cool. Um, because I want to do. Um, I want to do, you know, you've seen the Leia Remini Scientology show. Mm -hmm. I yeah. want to do that to Mormonism. You should. And we fucking need we it. We fucking need it because Scientology, <sighs> like sci that Scientology thing went gangbusters and Scientology doesn't hold a torch 
to Mormonism. Mm. Mormonism is the most dominant, powerful cult in the world. I totally agree. It is, it is, I mean, if you think about the holdings, right, it's yeah. worth hundreds of billions of dollars. It's, if people knew how much money and how much influence they would be they would be horrified, horrified yeah. right? And the the structure of it, right, is a corporation soul, meaning yeah. that it's owned and controlled by one person, which means that the richest man in the world isn't Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos. It's Ooh. Russell Nelson, <laughs> which is gross because he's Ew. he's a zombie. He's so scary. Right? He's so scary. He looks like the emperor from Star Wars. He totally does. Yeah, I always <laughs> think it. I always like picture him with like a cloak on. And yeah. I'm like, ooh. Yeah. So I'm, I'm in the middle of drafting, uh, like a proposal for, I I connected with this lady who I think can connect me to the people who run Netflix. Mm. And I want to do, I want to send them a proposal with as this actually is part of the the comedy thing, right? Is filming this gets me some (gasps) legitimacy as a comedian. I knew you had a plan. I knew you had a plan. And then I can go there and I can say, Hey, I want to, I want to get do some comedy specials for you. And I want to do a show for you. I want to call it Mormonism unveiled 2.0. And I want to do, I just do an expose, but an expose that does a couple of things. I want to tie it to comedy. So I'm thinking like a Seinfeld kind of thing where every episode begins with some, some up about something interesting Mm. and funny. Mm. And then it, and then it just explores all of the different crazy parts of Mormonism. It interviews people. It lets victims tell their stories. I would love to get, you know, some of the the big movers and shakers in the yeah. world, like the Kate Kelly's, the John DeLynn's, yeah. like get them interviewed and on there, but just do like what I haven't seen yet is a, is a total thorough expose and takedown of Mormonism Amen. in the way that, that Lay Remedy it. did with Scientology. Yeah. And it is ripe for that. Yeah. Yeah. Beca- yeah and it, yeah. and I think it's especially ripe for that from someone like me because, um, because I've, I've seen all of the sides. Seen both. Yeah, I've seen, right. right? I, because I've and come you're an through artist. and I'm an artist and I'm, and a, you're smart. I'm smart. I'm you funny. S- you started running businesses when you were a tiny baby, right? Like you're, you know how to hustle, right? Like it's shitty that you know how to hustle as well as you do, but it's also like, but it's also kind of nice. Yeah. And, and there's, and I, I think the other thing that, that I'm the, I would like to do with it is that it's not like that. I've also done. I've also done enough work where I've, it's not like I feel like I've I've healed most of that. Yeah. And so I can come at it from a place of, of integrity. You are a prophet. I really am. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> and 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 what I want to do with that, right, is just is is hold them accountable. Yeah. yeah. Right. Because the reality of the situation here yeah. in Utah is that this this church dominates our politics. Yeah. It controls a state. It owns the government. It owns I the government. I said that to my friends in Kansas City because they were asking me about Mesa where I grew up and I was like, it's real Mormon there. Like the Mormons settled Mesa, Arizona. Like it's a thing we forget. And they were like, oh, so, and I was like, but it's not as bad as Utah because it doesn't own the government. Right. I mean, Mormonism owns the Arizona government a little. A little bit. But it owns the Utah government. It owns government the Utah government outright. 100%. Yeah. And, and the, the thing too is that we... There's, there's so, there's so much silence, yeah. right? It is, it is because it has played a narrative of we are persecuted. Don't be mean to us. Yeah. Mormon is a racial slur, yeah. Yeah. which yeah. is bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, it's really, and because they're, they've tried to play this thing, like we're nice, we're kind, but like we're so polite and everything. I think that most people and, and, and because most people out in the world are decent people. And so yeah. they don't want to make fun of people's right. religion. This they don't want to 
talk mean about people. And so yeah. the, it needs someone, it needs, there, there needs to be an opportunity for someone and groups of people really on the inside to come out and say, Hey, this is how Mormonism impacted my life. Right. right? right. I was labor trafficked right. because of Mormonism. Right. You can, dr- I can draw a direct line to Joseph Smith lying about being a prophet yeah. and having revelation yeah. to me working in a bakery at age eight. Yeah. That's not a, that's not a, it's not abstract. It's not abstract. That's a that's direct causation. Yeah. yeah. And there are thousands of people who can attribute real trauma yeah. to the things that happened to them in Mormonism. Yeah. And we're, and we're being nice to this organization. Yes. Bullshit. I've c- no, could not they, agree more. They are harming people. Yeah. They still are. Yeah. Right. Did you, I mean, I don't know Did if you, if you, you probably caught this, but like the, that, that article in uh, Associated Press like six months ago mm-hmm. where they're actively covering up mm-hmm. sex abuse yeah. scandals. Oh right? yeah. Well, I taught at BYU and I saw some shit there. Right. You know, like I, I saw some shit in my faculty meetings. Like, yeah. I, I mean, I had, I, I had students who were suicidal who were worried about getting kicked out of school. I mean, it's happening all over the place. I got fired. You know, like, I mean, my, my Bishop, um, I was already leaving. I was like, I don't have testimony. I can't, I mean, I don't want to be here anymore. Like I can't be at BYU anymore. Like I was in the parking lot trying not to have a panic attack every time before. I mean, I didn't want to be there, but my students needed me, Right. you know, some of them, I mean, I was in the performing arts. A lot of my students were gay, you know, a lot of them. And uh, my bishop called me on the phone and he was like, I'm going to remove your ecclesiastical endorsement. And I was like, fine. Like, I'm wow. le- I was like, I'm leaving. I already put it. I'm already, yeah. I already resigned. This is my last semester. And he was like, well, I want to get you out now. And I was like, listen, that all that's going to do is like really screw over my students. Right. And he said to me, I have a responsibility to protect the students of BYU from people like you. Oh my God. That happened to me. See? And 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 then I had, I mean, that was traumatizing for me because I'm I'm good at my job. Of course. And it's abusive. It's what, what we don't understand is that Mormonism is a narcissistic abuser. Yeah. Right. It is a textbook, all of the, all of the trappings and Mm -hmm. what narcissistic abusers do is they present a false face to the world that is lovely and awesome and very nice. And then on the inside, they control your life. They squelch your identity and they make you feel like shit. And that's what Mormonism has done to every person, every human that has come in contact with it. Yeah, yeah. And someone, and the silence has to end. It has to end. Right? And it's not enough to just do it within our community. That's why I think a show like... Yeah. like a, like a, a Scientology show yeah. w- is, is a good way to do it because it, it's not enough to just be in our communities and talk about it. Right. It's, we have to warn the outside world because that church is now going into third world developing nations mm-hmm. and extorting poor people mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. using them, lying to them mm-hmm. and then getting money from them. Yeah. Right? That's not like a, how you spin it. That's like a, the that's facts. like a thing that's <laughs> yeah, happening. That's right. The well, facts. I, I spent, I spent 90 days in Uganda as part of when I was, when I was in college, I did like a, a service mission over there mm. and it blew my mind because while I was over there, just the fact that I'm white and American immediately gave me authority. Yeah. Right. And so we're sending young white American boys and girls into these countries where they are assumed to be legitimate and good actors. And Mm -hmm. they're not Mm -hmm. also they're being labor trafficked. Right. 
Like right. a mission is yeah. the textbook definition of labor trafficking. Right, right, right. And so it's like all of this, this entire organization is corrupt from top to bottom. Yeah. And um, it hurts. It hurts. And I don't like it. The, the, you know, I'm going to be a little creative and try and try and make something that yeah. makes them feel feel I'm sad. trying to do it too. Yeah. Oh, well, I'm, I'm here for you, man. That's great. That's yeah. awesome. Like, okay. I, I hear you like so strongly, like this is a mission. This is like, like a, like a mission impossible mission, not like a Mormon mission. Totally. But like, <laughs> eh. Um, but do you want to say anything more about the arts, the arts, like as a, as a tool, the arts is something that changes culture. The arts is like something human. Like, do you have, do you have any yeah. thoughts as an, as an artist? Yeah. The, I'm, I'm sort of reminded of, uh, the, there's a book called the fourth turning, mm. which is written by, uh, two economic historians, Strauss and Howe, mm. and they track, um, cycles of history driven by generations. Wow. And one of the things that they talk about is that, that history sort of moves in repeating patterns mm. and that the pattern that we're in right now is what's called the crisis wow. where everything kind of breaks. Mm. And what happens after the crisis is the, the, the last time this happened, by the way, was like 1929 to 1945. And if Damn. you think about what was yeah. happening at that point, <laughs> yeah. that's basically what we're doing right now. Yeah. That's the phase that we're in right now. Right. And it started really probably 2001. It'll probably end in the next, you know, seven years or so. Uh, and after that, there's a rebuilding. And one of the things that I really love about that framework, that book is, um, there's a great interview on Tony Robbins's, uh, YouTube where he interviews the, the, uh, I think how from the, from the book, mm. but he talks about the different generations that are driving. So the generation, our generation, they are called the hero generation. And mm. that's the generation that kind of comes of age during the crisis. Yeah. And then we're followed, Oof. right? And that feels true, right? Yeah. I mean, you were like, what, 11 when 9-11 when happened? happened. Yeah. yeah. And we're followed. Our gen the, our, the generation that comes after us is the artist generation. Mm. And, and when, I, <laughs> when I look at the people who are coming up under me, I, what I see is a bunch of artists. And so yeah. to me... I think the last thought that I have about art and artists and the, the purpose of it is that it is not, it is not a casual thing, yeah. right? It's not, uh, it's not frivolous. It's not frivolous. It's, it's actually the highest expression of humanity yeah. and that especially now in the world that we live in, we live in a broken world. Yeah. It's not broken in the same way that Mormonism said it was. Right. right. Mormonism said it was broken because people like to drink and have sex. Yeah. That's not yeah. true. Right. The world is broken because we broke it because yeah. we raped the earth because we oppressed people. And because we, we didn't we made people machines. We made people machines, all of these different ways where, where capitalism. we capitalism is, was not great for us. Yeah. Right. And so the only way that we're going to fix that is by creating is by being artists. And, yeah. and one of the things that I think really gives me, gives me hope is when I look at the world right now, I can't think of a more interesting canvas to paint on yeah. because we are in such a magical time. There's so many possibilities. There's so many opportunities. Yeah. There's so much available to us to create and to, to move. And 
And so I think the, the final thought that I really have around art is that there's never been a time when it's been more important. There's never been a time where it's been more important to tap into your innate creativity and, and the, the, your radical self-expression. Amen. Amen, Ben. Yeah. I love it. I could not agree more. I feel the same way. And I do. Sometimes I start getting a little feeling like a little silly, a little sheepish about it because I'm in a, my family is, my family is alive and well in its toxicity. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> and, and, and my family is very capitalist and yeah. it's very, and like, I have a master's degree. I have like pretty good earning potential and I just have to remind myself every day this isn't the choice. Like right. this is, I don't have to make this choice. This isn't the rubric I want to live in. And, you know, to people who are raised differently, it might be like, oh, whatever. But like for me, it is like radical. Right. <laughs> and I have to like, I have to remember like, you know, I don't know. These things are, these things are so important. And it's not like, in a, it's not like a righteousness, like virtue, whatever it's just for me, like, and, and, and for anyone who wants to, right. you know, for anyone who like wants to move the world in that way, I'm like, let's do it. Let's do it. And we yeah. need you, Yes, right? We need everyone to find that part of themselves that wants yeah. to express and then to boldly express it Amen. because, because we can't, we can't rebuild this world without that. Do you have advice for like artists? Yeah. Um, I, I would say, uh, Whatever the thing is that you're scared of expressing, express. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm. Whatever is the thing that you think you'll be made fun of, whatever is the thing that you think will you'll be made wrong for, whatever is the part of you that feels like so tender and so special that you couldn't ever show it, show us that. Yeah. And do it boldly and do it bravely Fierce. and be willing to do it imperfectly. Be willing to do a thousand shitty first drafts. Yeah. Because I guarantee you, you will, right? Yeah. You hack you actually have like I was, I was talking to this, this kid, um, his mom reached out to me after the, after the show and she, and she was like, Hey, I've, I've got a son. He really wants to be a comedian. He's 16. He's, uh, could you just have a conversation with him? Yeah. And so I, I went and met him for lunch, for coffee and we had a really lovely conversation and it was pretty funny. And, and I told him that he has, you know, 10,000, 10,000 10, hours of shitty comedy in him. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And you, everyone does. You have 10,000 hours of shitty songwriting in you. Yeah. You yeah. have 10,000 hours of shitty art in you. Mm -hmm. The only way to move through that is to get it out of you. Amen. And so don't, don't wait until you're good to express. Yeah. It's the act of expression that makes you good. I couldn't agree more. I mean, as a person who teaches songwriting at a university, like, that's the, that's the gospel truth. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, and it's not to say there isn't craft and there aren't things to work on, but it's like, you can't skip that step. Right. The most important thing to do is to do the work. Yeah. And yeah. if you do the work, you'll get good at it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and, and it'll happen actually faster than you think. Right. Right. Because you'll do it and you'll do it. And eventually you'll get tired of sucking. Yeah. Your brain will get tired of sucking and you'll do something brilliant. And then you'll be like, Oh, that's what it is. Right. And the process is like, the process is so beautiful too. Like mm -hmm. the process of being bad at something, getting better at something, it teaches you extra lessons that like you could not get from the outside in. Right. Yeah. 
Anything else? And anything else that needs to be said? Oh, you go ahead. You well, were going to say something. I think just the, the last thought on that is you cannot think your way to good art. Right. You can only act your way to good art. Yeah. You got to make the art. You got to make the you gotta art. You got to work the muscles. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Um, so unless there's anything else you want to talk about, I have two little questions I like to throw to people at the end, but perfect. Do you feel like, do you feel like you, there's anything unsaid? Um, the only other thing that I'll say is, uh, if you want to follow me, Oh, or, that's one of the little questions. Oh, great. Then we'll go there. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah, I like how Pete, I think it's Pete Holmes that he does the, he's like, what's the yoga pose that's left in your body? You know, like <laughs> at the end of his podcast, he's oh, like, I like that. yeah, he's like, you know, cause at times at the end of yoga class, they'll be like, what do you feel? And it's like, do you feel like you need to do? And just like, is there something else that like needs to be expressed? Like in this conversation, hmm. it doesn't have to be, but I always like to give people the opportunity. I, I think I've, I think we've sort of alluded to this, but I just want to maybe put like a really nice bow on it. And Great. it's that um, the thing, the thing that Mormonism, the reason that Mormonism is evil in my, in my yeah, view, yeah. and I use that word very intentionally. I'm, I'm, I'm with you. The reason that Mormonism is evil is that it tells the individual that they are bad. And that their natural self-expression is sinful. Right. And that is tragic because the universe is making all of these humans for us. Yeah. And they're, it's making, it for, making them for us because we need them. Right. And so we actually need these individuals. We yeah. need them in all of their queer, weird, stupid, crazy, beautiful glory. And so I, the most important thing that anyone listening to what I would say to you is just be, be yourself. Just whatever it is that's inside of you yeah. is good. Yeah. There's nothing bad in you. Yeah. There's only goodness and express that, live that, trust that, be that. And if you do, you will find your people You'll find your purpose and you'll find the, you'll find the expression that, that the world needs from you right now. Yeah. And we desperately need all of you. Like we need, we are in the largest crisis in human history yeah. and we desperately need all humans on board. Yeah. That was a nice bow. That was a beautiful bow. Thanks, Ben. I practiced that. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. My little questions are on this day. What's your dream collaboration? So you told uh, us about your project, but like, you know, my oh, dream collaboration right now would be, um, a documentary filmmaker. Mm. Like I would Aaron love Carr, Aaron Lee Carr. Listen, do whatever you want, but she's the one who did the documentary on like the Olympic Larry Nasser, um, who was like abusing all those girls. She did. She like maybe Aaron I'll, Lee Carr is the one. I, I'll Google her. Aaron yeah, Lee Carr. Yeah. Okay. So maybe it's her because I, I feel like I have, I think the, the most important thing that I'm going to do over the next couple of years is this, right? And in terms of my, I, I had this experience uh, a couple of years ago, well, maybe like a year and a half ago now, where I, um, I took uh, some sacrament, meaning I ate some magic mushrooms, <laughs> and then I asked the universe what I was here to do. And I pulled, I love magic. So I pulled some tarot cards Great. and I pulled three tarot cards. I pulled yeah. judgment, justice, and the devil. Wow. And the way that I interpreted that was that the, the reason that I'm here right now is that I'm the devil 
and I've come to mete out ju- judgment and justice on the people who have abused my people. Mm. And the most important thing for me right now is that I, when I die, I want the Mormon power structure to die with me. Wow. It's been around for too long. It's been around for so long. It has abused too many people. Yeah. It destroyed my family. Yeah. It destroyed too. me. And and it didn't even care. Yeah. And it didn't even, what, what it of it? It didn't even yeah. acknowledge it. Yeah. And I am, I am so deeply angry about that Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. in the way that anger is this beautiful, powerful emotion that says no and sets boundaries. Yeah. Good and and mad. Good and bad. Good and mad. Good and mad. Good and mad. Yeah. It's the title of a book about like feminist anger. And I just feel like it belongs in this moment as well. Yeah. Good and mad. Good and mad. And, and so like that is the most important creative thing that I'm doing right now. And really everything that's driving all of what I'm working on right now is, is tied to that. Yeah. And I so love, I, love I you said my people, like it's, I feel it with you. Yeah. They, yeah. the, I mean, my family has been Mormon for 200 years. My, I, my, my family's early Mormons too. And my right? family's fucked up. They, like the I, narcissism that is in my family structure that is baked in, baked that they in. learned from Mormonism, that Mormonism bolsters that Mormonism, yeah. uh, guilds. Yeah. Yeah. My, my family, I mean, I, I think about this sometimes my parents abused me because Mormonism made them that way. I, I think I feel the same way. And, and I'm, you know, I, I, I've really kind of become reconciled with my family in a really lovely way That's Wonderful. that has involved a lot of honesty and a lot of healing, <gasps> but what I've seen through that is Mormonism turns people into abusers. Yeah. It turns people into, into people who harm other people. Yeah. And, and I'm fucking sick of it. Yeah. I'm done with it. Amen. And so the, that's like the, the thing that's kind of the end, the engine underneath all of the comedy and all. And I, I imagine that eventually it'll be, it'll be dead and I'll move on to other things. Yeah. But for right now, like I was raised to be a prophet warrior Right. I was raised to go out into the world and to destroy wickedness. Yeah. And for a long time, I, I moved away. I was like, no, that's not true. Like, and it was kind of what we were talking about earlier, where you sort of draw through, you pull through lines back into who you were. Right. And so when I, when I pulled those cards, what I, what I recognized, what I saw in myself is I was like, okay, what if, what if I am exactly what I need to be? Yeah. And okay. Then what is evil? And I look around Utah and there's, and there's a pretty evil thing that's here in Utah. And it's a system of belief that tells humans that they're bad and then uses the guilt and shame that that creates to create money and power for the people who are running that organization. That is so evil. That makes me just that, that fills me with a rage that goes back to like my primordial ancestors, right? Yeah. Generations, hundreds of thousands of warriors and cavemen are in my blood and they are livid with mm. anger mm-hmm. about what that organization has done to innocent people. Yeah. So fuck them. Fuck them. Fuck them. Amen. So I really need a documentary filmmaker on my team. Listen, I just think if you gave that pitch to Erin Lee Carr, she'd be like, hell yeah. And it would be like the most popular thing on HBO for four years. Sweet. Cool. But I'm going to, yeah. I'm going to, I have no idea who she is. So I'm going to Google her yeah, right now. You're going to Google her and you're going to be like, 
Emily was right. Yes. I mean, I think, listen, if it's wrong, I trust you. You do your I, the, thing. The but. thing is, is I actually, I would love the, the, the idea of work working with a woman sounds really cool yeah. because I would want to have, I, I want to have that balance, right? I want to have, cause I've got a lot of, I've got a lot of healthy, angry, masculine energy in mm-hmm. me. And I want to balance that out with, mm-hmm. with, with just a powerful woman. Who Ooh, can, I'm like thrilled at the idea that this could happen. Yeah, I am too. <laughs> Woo! So that's my dream collaboration. <laughs> I love it. And then finally tell everybody where to find your work. So where you can find my work is I'm on, uh, I'm on TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube at the Fresh King Benjamin. The I, Fresh King Benjamin. The Fresh King okay. Benjamin. I just got my first, uh, my, my filming back from the show that I did. Oh, I'm going to post that to YouTube. Some uh, of those woos in that are mine. Some of them, I actually remember them very distinctly. <laughs> um, I'm a singer, so I give good woos. Yeah, you, I mean, it was on pitch. It was perfect pitch. It was solid. <laughs> so I'm going to post that later today. Um, ah. And it's going to, that that's going to be part of, part of the pitch, right? Is So yeah. if you, if you're listening to this and you want to go and like, give me some love on that, please do. Okay. You can also follow me on my website, thefreshkingbenjamin.com, where awesome. you can sign up for my, uh, like for my email list. Yeah. And I'm also launching a little, um, I'm launching my own personal cult. Okay. So for $6 and 60 cents, 66 cents a month, you can yeah. join my cult, a fan cult, a fan cult, which is all about actually helping people recover from Mormonism. Mm. Ben. So and providing some support and some, yeah. some guidance and some structure in, and leaving that worldview because it's really fucking hard. It's really fucking hard. I'm still doing it. I'm still doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Ben, thank you so much for just, I have, I, one of my other guests had said something about how like agreeing to do a podcast like this has trust on both ends. Mm. And I can't stop thinking about that. I mean, this was probably a full year ago or, or more. And every time someone responds to an email and says, I'd love to come, I'm so grateful for that. Yeah. And I thank you for that. I, I receive that with lots of gratitude and just, I want to thank you for the platform, right? I, I am very, I know very much how much work it takes to build a platform like yours. Mm. And so I just appreciate you letting me come on and, and preach my gospel. Well, you're welcome. You're <laughs> welcome anytime. Thanks, Thanks. Ben. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Artifice. Our theme song is As You Are from My Album Masks with artwork and merch designs by Sarah Keel. If you'd like to recommend a professional artist for an interview on the podcast, you can reach me through my website, emilymerrellmusic.com. That's E-M-I-L-Y-M-E-R-R-E-L-L music.com. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks again. Have a great week.